In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. your friends you're listening to the verhoven effect podcast i'm colin and i'm nathan and tonight we have a very special episode we have the 1977 movie close encounters of the third kind nathan what is your history of close encounters of the third kind well the movie and in general (laughs) well yeah i've had a few um no i haven't actually i've always wanted to but it's never happened i've probably this is a top 10 movie for me so i've probably seen this 400 times (laughs) <laughs> it's right up there i've a number of viewings probably right up there with blade runner and time bandits like i've just seen this movie um so many times and in, in all its different iterations i think it was an abc sunday night movie like 12 times a year uh, i watched it a lot that way and then of course later on cable and then you know i just have a copy of it now so um <laughs> Did this start your fascination with paranormal UFOs and stuff like that? Uh, probably part of it. Um, I've always seen this as being, even though there's a lot of like UFO mythology in this and, and a few like people, you know, very famous in UFOs. I've always seen this as like a self-contained thing. Like I never, well, what I mean by that is like, oh, I could, we're, we're going to go find this stuff out. We got to recreate this. It's like, no, this is its own story. It's just like, and it is, it always seemed to me purely as fiction, like based on like his interpretation of fact. So that's yeah. how I always viewed it. But it's like, it would be cool to chase things through the night like this and see things. <laughs> and it's never happened. I've never, never seen Sasquatch. <laughs> I've never seen UFO. And I've spent a lot of time in the woods I've spent a lot of time with weird radio equipment and weird guys with radio equipment. We've done all this stuff. Never saw a damn thing. But it's just cool to do. And most people haven't. Um, 99.9% of people have it. It's just cool to go do. But just like ghost hunting, like there's people around here that like, oh, we're going to sit in this like prison that was abandoned and like record stuff. It's like, you want to go? It's like, sure. It's like, are you scared? No. (laughs) Nothing's going to happen unless like, homeless people show up and rob us at the abandoned prison like that's that's not going to be supernatural yeah because yeah that stuff's not science scientific because like before you go into the prison like you're told the story of what happened here Mm -hmm. which preps you to believe that any any response to anything is this yeah (laughs) it's like this bad thing that happened is now why the the electricity is weird in this in this place and not because electricity is weird it's because there was a murder here 30 years ago yeah it's hanging around if you just went into a building and you didn't know the story at all then you you just find a lot of boring like structural like like analysis it's like oh yeah this needs to be replaced this needs to replace this is designed wrong it's like it's not like oh we need to like exercise this because the demons are here and they need to go to heaven or hell well what <laughs> i stuck between realms. 
what I spent a lot of my teenage years and early 20s doing was like we were just cracking out Ouija boards and candles, and we'd go to abandoned houses. And I would make up a story. I just found the abandoned house. It's like, you know, someone got murdered here. That's why no one lives here. <laughs> we're going in here with candles and a Ouija board, and people would be like, oh, shit's happening. And I'd go along with it. But in the end, I was kind of always sad because everyone was <laughs> like, that was cool. That was cool. And it's like I just totally made that up. I, yeah. I just lied about it. But everyone seemed happy with it, so I never told them. It's like I'm totally full of shit, guys. Not, <laughs> there's no murder in this house. There's no, But see, that was the pre-internet era when you could just make stuff up and like yeah. no one's going to go to a library and get out the microfiche and like, you're wrong, <laughs> Nathan. It's like, no. So yeah, that's yeah, that's like all the stuff like yeah, like Bigfoot and UFO stuff like in the eighties and nineties when there was like when the information was too slow and it was hard to confirm and it was easier to fake without people seeing you do it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know it was left up to your imagination. Like what does this mean? Because like you know growing up, it's like oh crop circles that's got to be aliens, it's not just be. some dude, just not some dude with a board <laughs> pressing stocks down in a pattern. It's like it's too big. Who would be that insane to make a pattern that big? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like no one could do this. It's not in human science. And the guys show you how to do it, and it's like well this is how they built like huge structures in medieval times. They measured distance and space. With, I forget. It's a basic tool. It's how you make those circular patterns and stuff. Yeah. Once you see it done, you're like, oh, I'm such a dumbass. Yeah, anyone <laughs> can do that. Just have to practice. So, yeah, yeah that, that definitely is this stuff in the 80s and 90s. Well, I guess even the 70s, because uh, what was the Nimoy one that he, like, narrated? Oh, um, oh yeah, I used to love that one. I still watch that occasionally. Um, What was that? It wasn't Unsolved Mysteries. It was before that. Uh, we're gonna have to look that one up, cause yeah, this was of that era. Is it in search of? Or yes, in search of. In search of. Yeah. Yes. Like and like because it's Nimoy and he has like oh he's associated with science and stuff. It's like this stuff must be true. Yeah, this happened. <laughs> well, in search of was always it. It didn't. It didn't like um it never it was never really conclusive. It just yeah. gave you all the preamble and it's up to you to decide whether it exists or not. It's like what do you think happened? It's like this so it's basically like, do you have an imagination or not? It's like that's <laughs> yeah. what, that's what's gonna that's what it's gonna tell us. We're in search of your imagination. <laughs> so yeah, this 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 was always like um it definitely encouraged me to do things, but I never saw it as a as a part of the wider world. It's like Oh, this was a this was a good you know not Hollywoodization of a lot of cool ideas, of things that I would like to have seen or happen, but never will, you know. And then you realize as you get older, it's probably like probably best this doesn't happen. <laughs> this could could lead to problems. Could lead to financial problems. Well, I just know you're a big fan of X Files, although that's kind of a misnomer because X Files is a big thing. Everybody was a fan yeah. of X Files. And then, but also Art Bell is like that's it's kind of like all in that wheelhouse. And stuff. Oh yeah. Like I said, yeah, it was me, the X-Files, uh, shortwave radio, radio equipment, uh, recording my voice, recording things has always been at some point in my life and, and never done well, as this podcast clearly demonstrates. <laughs> like, I've never upped my skill. I'm just, the concept always fascinates me. Uh, so, yeah, it was always, uh, uh, yeah, stuff like this was 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 cool, but there's never made a believer out of me. I do not believe in the supernatural. <laughs> I just think it's like it's a nice thought that it's out there. That's why I kind of just ended up on HP Lovecraft type stuff. 
<laughs> is like, well, yeah, because if this was real, it would warp your mind because it's like this is not, you know, it's not even necessarily good or bad. It's just something other than us and the world we live <laughs> in. That's like a agnostic churchgoer. It's like, well, I'm just kind of here for the people. I don't really believe yeah. in all this stuff. I yeah, mean, <laughs> it's about the community, not about the, not about the imagination. And nor am I trying to carve my own new faith. It's like, no, I see the true light and way. It's like I don't have a good enough imagination for that either. I just I enjoy the trappings of the supernatural, while I also know it's like nonsense. Because I'll be the first one to go into the woods at midnight. And know the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to turn my ankle or be attacked by <laughs> rabid animals. You know, it's like, yeah, stuff could happen, but not supernatural stuff. Oh. This is the first time I've actually watched this movie all the way through. I've seen the ending of this, like the last half hour, probably like 20 times. Oh, yeah. Because it was yeah. just always on TNT or USA or whatever. Yep. Like at like noon or something like that. You know, of course, it's it's Steven Spielberg, so it's like this is his follow up to Jaws. Uh, so I actually like went in with like really high expectations for this movie, and I was like, kind of like, there's so many great moments, but like the like character arcs are so weird <laughs> that it's like kind of took me out of the movie. I'm like, wait, this is how this is. <laughs> there, there's I've always seen. I have always seen. Nathan has always seen. There's a lot of ideas going on in this movie. Yeah. They don't necessarily gel, and I think that's on purpose because yeah. of immediately what we're dealing with, which is the unknown, and yeah. we don't tie it up, <laughs> which is good and bad depending on well, yeah, what yeah, you're watching is, and what you expect. Yeah, I mean, that's something of a, a 70s movie you know, kind of thing. It's up to you to decide. But also, like, this is sci-fi when it didn't have to have all the answers it just had one idea and then it was up to you to solve. see if you made this now you'd have to explain everything or else yeah. people would get mad yeah. <laughs> so, which is probably why i was confused about it. i was like because i had so many questions and i guess i was angered by none of them being answered yeah it's like ah you're just supposed to enjoy it but like i i the the thing i was like one i was fascinated about because like like i said i've seen the ending of this like 20 times so i know like ultimately the aliens are friendly but i don't like when this first came out like especially this is a follow-up to jaws which is like mostly a drama but also a horror movie mm -hmm. like there's so much of this movie where it's like it's like wait are the aliens bad because there is a lot of weird stuff going on here and they play up the horror element of it oh yeah and like and so like i like that would be fascinating to watch this movie and just not knowing where the aliens lie like are they a good or a bad thing for humanity yeah <laughs> And that's really like the the great mystery of it. Um, I was like, ah, I wish I would have had that perspective. But <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the script for this movie, well, first of all, Steven Spielberg went and got approved for $3 million to make this movie, um, which was not its end budget, by the way. Uh, yeah. it, it ended up getting a lot bigger. But I guess at that time, um, Hollywood, specifically Columbia Pictures, they were kind of they, they're like ah, the sci-fi stuff. We're kind of on the fence about it. It's uh, drama and horror is really doing it for us. We don't know if we want to invest in this, so it had to be, it had to go through several different uh, screen uh, uh, screenplays, including one done by the writer of like Paul Schrader, the guy who wrote Taxi Driver, Taxi Driver yeah. gave Spielberg a script and Spielberg said it was the most embarrassing script he's ever been handled, handed. And it's like from the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Okay, cool. For Paul Schrader. 
But I don't know if Steven Spielberg just totally had his own ideas and didn't like. Well, uh, I, yeah, like I don't know, like the trivia. Uh, it's hard to like parse the trivia on it because there's so much of it, and you don't know what any of it. You know, in no sources, so it's like, um, because like there's Steven Spielberg is listed as the ultimate writer. And then in Intermittent Movie Database, they have four uncredited writers that aren't Paul Schrader. And then one of the trivia is like Paul Schrader turned in a draft that Spielberg heavily rewrote. And then so Paul Schrader was mad that how much he rewrote. So he took his name off the project. And then that's why Spielberg gets sole credit on the movie because Schrader asked off of it. They must have had a strong disagreement because Steven Spielberg doesn't usually say negative things about people. (laughs) He wanted it known that like, yeah, his script sucked. (laughs) <laughs> but also like i don't know, like then there's like things like on jaws where it's talking about like like spielberg and dreyfus were just talking about like you know ufo encounters and stuff like that and that's the kind of the genesis like for this movie is just like the unknown of what ufos are and stuff like that it came out december 14th 1977 so another december movie here just unintentionally christmas movie just in time for christmas oh yeah those ufos are just like a christmas tree oh yeah <laughs> Uh, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg. Like he, like I said, he came off of Jaws, which uh, this wasn't bigger than Jaws, but this was still a huge movie, and I guess saved Columbia or whatever. Yes, and I think I watched like the twentieth anniversary edition, which I, I don't think it's the ultimate edition, but it has like the there was an edition they made in the time this movie was released, where they spent two million dollars and shot an interior of the spaceship. Oh yeah, and Spielberg hated that. Yeah, and yeah. then like they released that like in the same year it came out so two editions got released like got released for this movie like within the the years it came out and then there's a director's edition that came out in the late 90s oh yeah yeah that's the one yeah, I, I know there's one that adds like an hour or whatever yeah there's <laughs> so, a lot of extra scenes in it it actually works but uh cinematographer is uh vilmos zigmund <laughs> Uh, or Zygmunt. I'm not sure where where is he from. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he shot. He's, yeah, from, he shot he's the, Hungarian. Okay. He shot this. The Long Goodbye. The Deer Hunter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he worked with. Uh, oh, what's yeah? It's, <laughs> no, I'm trying. Can't remember the Deer Hunter guy's name. Uh, Michael uh, Simone. <laughs> I don't, not, not Simone. It's like Kimoni or something like that. I can't remember how to say that. He worked with him a bunch. You know, he worked on Heaven's Gate. So you know, he threw that. <laughs> But yeah, he seemed to have a fine career. Worked with Brian De Palma a few times too. Yeah, he worked with Brian De Palma a lot. Although, yeah, they list here is his big De Palma one is the Black Dahlia, which is like one of De Palma's worst movies. Well, yeah, (laughs) it's a beautiful looking movie though. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's De Palma. Like all his movies look great, but they're always like (laughs) they're always kind of like fall apart when you think about them too much. Yeah, no, just enjoy them quickly. Did he ever do anything after that? Did that ruin his career? <laughs> uh, he did some stuff for. Uh, let's see, when was the book? Okay, oh, yeah. yeah, that that was yeah, that was last. Well, he died in 2016. Oh, I don't know. Brian De Palma died. No, not Brian De Palma. Oh. I thought you meant this guy. Oh, no, no, De Palma. Like, okay, yeah, he uh, he worked after Black Dahlia. He did three movies: Redacted, Passion, and Domino. Domino. But not, but not, but not that Domino with like. Not the Tony. No, um, this was the domino, domino with the guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Nicolaj Coster or something. <laughs> yeah. Which I have not seen any of those movies. So. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Snake Eyes is the last. I, I forgot to mention, I, th- I think it's him. 
um because we we're talking about box okay yeah, it is a so we were talking about boxing with rocky and stan shaw's and rocky is like the guy who like takes his locker and then we just kind of see him for a moment and he disappears in the movie and i was like i thought i remember him in other stuff well stan shaw is in snake eyes and he's the guy who you know takes the phantom punch <laughs> oh okay <laughs> can't forget mission to mars yeah, yeah, it's like almost a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's almost there. I'm not sure. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of Red Planet. No, Mission of Mars is terrible. I hate Mission of Mars. Yeah, no, Red Planet's like weird and cool. I like Red They're Planet. They're both weird, but. Yeah, because that's right. Yeah, this is also where I have my fascination of too, like what will happen if you take your, if you like are exposed to space. Because in Mission of Mars, you take off your helmet, you immediately turn to ice and then then break apart. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, wait, that's not that's all that happens. But that's what Hollywood taught me. And that's why I have my fascination. It's like, no, what will happen to a human body in space? <laughs> Hollywood taught me wrong. See, I'm more of the Outland school, where I just want it to be like really dramatic. Yeah. But I think the one that captured it the most was probably Event Horizon which is a movie that yeah, yeah. I continuously revisit for <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, Bill yeah, yeah. Sigmund, yeah, yeah, he was definitely a good... Uh, like, I, well, yeah, some of the trivia I read said he's like, oh, he's the best cinematographer because he almost got fired on this because he knew like when they had the alien scenes that it was going to be overexposed. Yeah. So he basically pre-overexposed it. So then when you add the effects later on, it's even more exposed. Or I guess, it's, no, it actually gets lessened. So, like, the, the producers were looking at the dailies as like, oh, this guy f***ed us. <laughs> like, he ruined all this film. And so, like, they intervened and had the, like, the uh, uh, the film, uh, what do you call that? <laughs> the people handling the film. The, like, the uh, processors? Yeah, the film processors. Like, they had him, like, expose it in a different way. And then he had him, like, no, do it right. And then, like, he almost got fired for that. But ultimately yeah, they tried to go behind his back and hire like basically all the other best cinematographers in Hollywood. And they're all like, Hey, if this guy can't do it, like we're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> so, so eventually got to stay on. Yeah. And written by Steven Spielberg and friends. Uh, yeah. I don't know what to believe there. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen Amblin? No. Do you know, like he you know, his production company, Amblin entertainment. That's like a short film he did. I've never seen Amblin. it. No. I've never seen Amblin, but that's what that his, that's what his film corporation is based on. But the Amblin Entertainment logo is the like ET flying in front of the moon, <laughs> so it's very confusing. <laughs> uh, then cast goes. We got Richard Dreyfus, Fran- <laughs> Francois Truffaut, yes. and Terry Gar, <laughs> which this is not really a star-studded cast, so it's <laughs> um, but you know it's like. But it's Dreyfus running around because last time we saw Dreyfus was in, in uh, American Graffiti. Yeah, and so and then he did his last two movies with Spielberg. So uh, did he ever work with Coppola? <laughs> I don't know, but he had to be friends with all those people. So yeah, well, it was originally like I loved the the, the casting they wanted to do. Like Spielberg yeah. at first wanted Steve McQueen, like that would have been interesting, <laughs> and uh, James Caan. Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Gene Hackman. Well, I can see Gene <laughs> Hackman doing this. And Jack Nicholson. Oh uh, yeah, that that would have worked. That would have been a way more that would have been a way more like playful character, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> 
it would have made more sense when his family left him if, if Jack Nicholson was there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas been. in this movie, it's like uh, you're like, oh, poor Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Hoffman could have made it work, but he, you know, he's you know. Well, Hoffman and Dreyfus do neurotic about the same level. Um, yeah, but I feel I feel like Hoffman and Carrot's characters more where Dreyfus is kind of Dreyfus. <laughs> well, yeah. They seem to have the same level of neurotic, like, they can do that. Well. Yeah, they're very self-reflective. Yeah. But, like, Dustin Hoffman can do self-reflective and an accent, so. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it. So we got Act 1, which first it starts out with just silence and credits. Yeah. Like, I guess I guess that's bold. <laughs> which actually, there's actually not a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of things, a lot of, like, music cues that I recognized in, like, Ghostbusters and... Um, Back to the Future. <laughs> oh, okay. Because like I like like Back to the Future has that where it's just credits at the opening and then there's just like that little like tingles of like the key of the piano keys. Here it's just silence and then slowly like the score like kind of seeps in, but then it starts to, be, to become an, uh, ominous. This is a John Williams score, so yeah, um, yeah. John Williams got a g- they got their money's worth hiring him for this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, there's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, all departments, there's like a signature thing in this movie that like pops out, which is why this is a great movie, but like, um, some of the story stuff is a bit disjointed, but you know, with the getting work that went on, uh, we cut to a blown out desert scape. There's a Jeep or something that pulls up. Do you know what the hell that car is? <laughs> that's a Range Rover. That is okay. Yeah, I think that's a Range Rover, huh? And then we get titles on screen Sonora Desert, Mexico, present day. Uh, is this where all the uh, <laughs> is this where all the gunsmiths, the YouTube channels, are sending everybody to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Sonoran Desert Institute. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is where they do where they found the, the Grumman uh, Avenger torpedo bomber. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a great place to find uh, lost planes perfectly intact and learn how to gunsmith on the internet. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's like, yeah, that's all going to be used for totally legitimate purposes. <laughs> i mean i hate oh, to that say that because i think gunsmithing is like a legitimate craft to learn yeah. but i also know that people are just idiot well it's what this yeah. is why remember we had this this is the conversation we had before about we sh- want to have adam automatic weapons because they're cool to shoot pumpkins with but we also know other people will screw this up so <laughs> this is why we can't have fully automatic weapons <laughs> yeah we're in the sonoran desert uh, yeah, I had some other thought that I was going to go off on, and then I completely forgot, like, wait, where was I going with this? So, anyways, uh, guys hop out of the Jeep into the sandstorm. Uh, we got some Americans, like, speaking with the local officials in Spanish. There's, like, a bunch of heated conversations, but no clarity as to what's going on, because they don't, I don't think they subtitle, they don't, yeah, they don't subtitle any of the foreign languages here. It's just no. up for you to be confused. And that is a key thing in this movie. But go on. <laughs> Which I wonder if it'd be different for Europeans. Like it's just like, yeah, it makes sense. They're just switching between English and Spanish and French. <laughs> you get David Laughlin here as a character played by Bob Balaban, which you know who he is because he's in like a hundred things. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a, here it's a young Bob Balaban. <laughs> yeah, he usually plays like officials and doctors, and here he's like he's like some scientist who is also like a cartographer and the interpreter by default. I actually don't know what his job in this science 
thing is. <laughs> well, he happens he he is someone who supposedly can speak span or speak French, which yeah. is one of the reasons like Bob Falaban told uh Steven Spielberg is like, Yeah, I can do passing French. It's like yeah. he actually couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Francis Truffaut had to help him a lot. <laughs> Because Truffaut's deal with this is like, yeah, I'll be in your movie, but I'm a director and I'm not doing English. And Steven yeah. Spielberg's like, cool, that's actually <laughs> that works. Uh, yeah, yeah. Claude Lacombe comes up. That's played by Francois Truffaut. Yeah, he's a French director and producer, so he's not really an actor. But Spielberg was a fan and just like, well, we need a French guy in this movie, and this is the only French guy I know, I guess. <laughs> Well, he's based on uh, the UFO researcher Jacques Vallée, who was French. Oh, okay. So that's because uh, there's two guys in here, because J. Allen Hynek is where the title of the movie comes from. Yeah. Because that's those close encounters of the first, second, and third kind. And, uh, and uh, J. Allen Hynek was a real physicist who worked on Project Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue, Bo Blue Book. As a, as a government UFO debunker who later came out and said, no, nah, I think like 1% of that might have been true. And <laughs> so then that's why he's known. It's, uh, okay. So, yeah, and uh, Jacques Vallée was, uh, oh, what did he do? He's like, he was like a computer guy as well. Huh. He made a computer, uh, he designed software to do uh, computer mapping of Mars Okay. in yeah. the 60s. So that was like... <laughs> interesting stuff um i think he's still alive he's probably in his late 80s at this point but yeah valet was another like scientist like highly educated technical guy who's like no i think ufos are real and because he was french it, immediately in america it's like he's intelligent <laughs> he can smoke and eat baguettes and not gain a pound yeah <laughs> he, he must know the magic <laughs> And he makes everyone feel dumb whenever he talks. So he's got <laughs> to be—he's got to be a European, because for, yeah, that... for, for Americans, like Europeans are magic. It, like this immediately lends gravity. <laughs> they could say the most absurd nonsense you've ever heard, but it's like, well, he's German, you know, or he's French, or he's whatever. Yeah, the only true phone movie I know is called The Four Hundred Blows, which I've never seen it, but I just know it's like in the Criterion Collection. It's one of those like you got to see that movie. So I don't even know what it's about, but I just know the title. <laughs> I've seen it, and it's just it's 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 about violence oh, <laughs> against okay. women. Um, well, that's what I got from it. Now, the Truffaut movie I like is Fahrenheit 451. Oh yes, yes. Which yes. used to be a lot of drops from that were in our old uh, podcast, but yeah, because it's all my, and that was the, I think the only English language movie he did. Oh okay, I think, but it looked very French and cool, the <laughs> costumes and stuff, because it was just otherworldly enough. But yeah. Claude is like, I don't know, I wrote a part of the French team because I thought it was just like different teams of different nationalities, kind of like in um, The Thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this is just like the G.I. Joe of scientists, UN scientists or something. I, I, don't, I really don't know the makeup of the team here. It just seems that they've gathered together. It was originally it like supposed to be like a UN thing, yeah. and then they just didn't really play on that because I, I – I think the UN was kind of like out in America at the time. Like people were angry about some of the, like the oil embargo stuff. And <laughs> so it's like, he became like, he is the French government scientist who was in charge of the U S UFO investigation team. It's like, okay, cool. Oh, okay. He must so have this... a special like role in the U S okay. government. I was under the impression this team was here for other reasons. And then this happens. And then they kind of end up on the UFO. 
I didn't know this is a UFO team to start with. Yeah, it was it was to start with because it's it's okay. indicated to hinted at through this film. It's like we have a long history or not a long history. We have a history with UFOs and we have a few experts. And okay. not all of them are necessarily Americans, but because, you know, it's set in the US, it's like, yeah, let's throw some foreigners in there to give it some gravity. <laughs> uh a guy runs up well also this is the the, the weird thing is like this this whole this team is like the other half of this movie. This is like the B plot or whatever, and you know they merge together at the end. And in my you know only seen clips of this movie, I was just like, oh, it's just this movie following Richard Dreyfus all the time. So like this whole other team, like I don't remember at all. Yeah. <laughs> other than you know they play the keyboard at the end. Yeah. Yeah. This is that whole. This is that weird kind of B plot. Yeah. Where you don't really know exactly what they're doing. They don't seem to exactly know, but it all kind no. of looks cool in the end. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. go for I it. I mean, see, that's the thing. Like, people get mad now is they're not explaining everything. But then, like, it makes sense. Like, yeah, they're all scientists. They're not going to explain the simplest things to each other to, to, and to, uh, um, educate the audience. Like, no, they're just doing their job and everybody knows their thing and they're not going to, they only need to explain it to each other if they need to. Yeah, the closest you got with that is like the Bob Balaban character, Balaban character, David Laughlin, the French interpreter. Yeah, who's like he's he's actually a cartographer, which plays into it later. Yeah, but it's like yeah, so he's like the guy where they have to kind of like what what am I saying? What is this? You know, it's like you get that, but that's as close as you get, and I like it. I think it's cool because yeah. it'd be weird if he just looked into the camera. And it's like, well, this is what we're doing. It's like, no, come <laughs> on, taking me out of uh, it. I uh, got another guy runs up yelling, they're all here, all of them. And then they like, kind of pan across and they come across a squad of like World War II fighter planes or something. Uh, they get the numbers off the engines, engine blocks, which is just kind of fun where it's like, yeah, they're doing the details. Yeah. Uh, and then we figure out and they like the planes went missing in 1945. The planes are in good condition when they shouldn't be. But there's no pilot. <laughs> And I mean, they actually start one of them. It's like that yeah. shouldn't happen. These planes yeah. at this time would have been well, forty-five. So this is supposed to be current, so seventy-seven. So they would have been thirty-two 30, years. Thirty-two old. years. Wow. <laughs> so now, yeah, okay. So yeah, they still wouldn't have lasted that long. No, would be able to start them. And that was an actual formation of Grumman Avengers that did go missing. Yeah. Uh they think they figured they think they found them though. They figured out what happened because there was something with the the guy in, it was a training flight and the guy in charge of the training flight something was wrong with his compass but because he's the guy in charge and everyone behind him is learning it's like do what he does and they just yeah. sailed out to the ocean and never came back cuz he was <laughs> going the wrong direction even though they were like Hey boss, I don't think this uh, this my compass is right. It's like, well, I have forty five hundred hours flying. What do you have? So, okay, <laughs> boss. And then so yeah, they believe they found these in the ocean though, but it's only like they send probes down because you can only go down so far. And is know. this one of those Bermuda Triangle mishaps? Yep, okay. it's, it did happen off the coast of Florida. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which that, that was another just source of mystery in the 80s and 90s. Now it just doesn't it doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. <laughs> well, now it's because you can go to like uh, you know shippingmaps.com and you like, <laughs> oh wow, look at all the ships and airplanes that fly through that part of the world. It's like, yeah, you're gonna lose a few. It's it happens. <laughs> if you started losing like every plane that flew over Alaska, it's like that's weird. There's, <laughs> you know, there's not as many as you'd think. Still more well, than you think, but. I think there was, I think there is like some weird 
electromagnetic interference in the Bermuda Triangle, which is kind of what helps cause the mysteries. Yeah. But I think like all modern tech like subverts the, yeah. those things. So it's not much problem anymore. Yeah. Cause it's much more mysterious when you're looking at like a magnetically driven compass, even an expensive one. And it just starts twirling. How do yeah. you reflect that on a GPS now? Like what the screen starts twirling. There is no <laughs> way to, it's just like a signal at so many thousand megahertz bouncing back and forth between you and a billion satellites. It's like, yeah. Now if that does get interfered with, that's just not like a, a lot of magnetic rock. It's uh, well, they think that's from the uh, the, re the Bermuda Triangle thing, isn't that from the Quetzalcoatl asteroid strike? Wasn't that a big nickel iron asteroid that hit that? Oh, and that's maybe. why it screws up the because it's well, just I, I, I don't well, know. I know, I'm like, just spitballing here, but yeah. well, I remember like one thing because there's something with the uh, Lake Michigan where basically it has the same characteristics as the Bermuda Triangle, which is why mysterious weird things happen there so, as well, dude. The Great Lakes are like. I, since I've lived here, it's like the stories, the personal stories of death that have been relayed to me. It's like, oh, yeah, my son died on the Great Lakes. Like, what happened? Well, you know, you know, it freezes over some years and it's fun to like walk across to the upper peninsula. It's like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> well, he was drunk and it's like, oh, now the mystery is sapped from, it's like, it sounded like the the Great Lakes claimed him. It's like, well, no, he was drunk on the ice. Well, like, oh, of course he died. I mean, it sucks, but it's like, there's no element of mystery to this. You know, it's like, yeah, it's terrible. And they go up to talk to an old man on the bench and Claude notices he has sunburns on his face. Um, the guy says the sun came out last night and sang to him, which is a good, like, what the hell does that mean? Oh, yeah, that's you get like to the end of the movie and like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That says very <laughs> frightening implications. <laughs> uh, we cut to a green radar sweep, which is another great scene. Oh, one like, of my favorite you know, scenes in this movie. You don't see anything. So nope. it's all to you. <laughs> what, what's going on? Because, yeah, it's like, yeah, if you build on, like, the horror element of it, it's like, well, there's pilots missing, but they gave us our planes back. What does that mean? It's like, they just need the meat from the shell. Yep. <laughs> they just return the, 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 the egg shells to us. <laughs> and so, yeah, we get titles, Air Traffic Control, Indianapolis Center. Uh, the Air Traffic Control is getting, like, weird, uh, a weird call with, like, an unknown aircraft. And they say it's, like, shining objects, plural. There's, like... Actually, I think, well, they say there's, I think, I think they say objects plural, but then there's only one that whooshes by one of them or something. Yeah. Um, I don't, but also they end up, it ends up being like three planes on the, on the call at like the same time. So. And they're uh, talking to the air force. It's like, what are you flying up there? It's restricted <laughs> airspace. And they're like, we're not, but it's not like the air force is going to be like, oh yeah, we'll take our secret plane down now. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, there's a collision warning going off on the radar, and so the, the traffic controller is like trying to like, well, what the hell is this? And the object flies by and misses the plane they're talking to. And so they, they ask all the planes in on this call, like, hey, do you want to report a UFO? But like, they're like, no, I don't know what to explain. <laughs> so let's not, let's all pretend this doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, all this is being recorded, too. Even yeah. at that time, it's like, well, they're just... I'm not filing a report because I need this job. <laughs> there used to be there was a time when there was a real stigma. Like if you had a high responsibility job and you start talking about UFOs, it'd be like, okay, Bob, time to go sit at the <laughs> desk, you know. And it's 
Which, I mean, I, I that sounds silly now, but it's like, oh, well, I, yeah. If the guy who was in charge of, like, launching nuclear missiles started talking about aliens, it'd be like, things good at home? What, you know, <laughs> what do we need to figure out here? Do you need this drama in your life? <laughs> yeah, it's like you're already in charge of the nuclear missiles, um, which is a big <laughs> responsibility. You know, a lot of bad things could happen. <laughs> he's just like hey man i don't know if i can launch them i just put the key in i don't know if what i do actually matters yeah this is all be a simulation man is this, is this the red pill the blue pill the black pill i don't know what i'm doing here you know i turn that key it's like i could be sucked out of the matrix it's like yeah i think you need to stress medical i think you know which i think there's like five different outer limits episodes that basically explores the ideas of like different nuclear bunkers all connected together on a phone call and they all have to decide whether this is real or not. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is another great episode. That's a cool idea. Cause everyone tries to put themselves into that. Like, would I do it? And then I've like read a bunch of stuff about it and it's like, well, if I was trained in operating nuclear weapons in a bunker and I got the call and it said, enter this code and it says, Oh, launch it, I would definitely do it. It sucks, but it's like, well, this is my job. My job's not to like morally contemplate this, then turn the key gently to the right. It's like, no, it just turned the key. Yeah, there's a, yeah, we can, we can recall that. <laughs> they got to put something on there. <laughs> yeah. No, they can't. Um, By the time it gets to that point, it's uh counter, it's counterforce. So there's, they would never put something on there to send it back because at that point it's use it or lose it. So yeah, well, we're not recalling them at this point. I think maybe they can do that now, or maybe they can't. I don't know. It's still the same oh, damn missiles. It's the same ones. Yeah, well, there's a bunch of the, you know, like the cargo rockets they're sending up to space. They all have like self destructs on them. Because mm -hmm. like I know like five of those, actually probably like fifteen of those SpaceX ships have had to self destruct, <laughs> especially recently. Well, that's because they're sending up like the megas or whatever. They're so big. Yeah, it's the like, starship. Yeah, they only well, had like a ten percent chance of working anyway, and well, they're they're all made out of stainless steel. <laughs> nice, <laughs> because like I guess in, in space, stainless steel doesn't doesn't flex or change much. Okay, didn't know that. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's like that's and and I, I don't know. And also, Elon must have some sort of deal on it because he makes everything out of stainless steel. Like uh, that's what the Cybertruck is made out of. Oh. Yeah, and, no, there's a reason for that, because that Russian plane, that Soviet plane, the one that's like as, almost as fast as the SR-71, if it burns its engines out, the... Um, as the Fox Bat? Or yeah, that was made out of, um, that's pleated stainless steel. Okay. Because they, they made money selling us the titanium to make our spy planes, <laughs> so they made theirs out of like, well, we can't use titanium because we're selling it to the Canadians. Um <laughs> So what can we make this out of that can tolerate that kind of temperature? It's like, oh, pleated stainless, which is the same thing we made the um, Valkyrie was made out of pleated stainless steel. Because it could do that. The Valkyrie bomber was uh, intended for sustained high mock. And it was like, yeah. oh, okay. But not, I forget what, the Valkyrie was lower in the atmosphere than the SR-71, I think, or something like that. Because it was yeah. there to deliver a, it was a huge plane there to deliver a really tiny bomb. It's like, <laughs> and it was also really easy to track on radar and shoot down. That's why they didn't, because it was just oh, a. Shit, there's a formation moving in, like oh, it's just one plane. Just one plane <laughs> moving incredibly fast, <laughs> moving at Mach three. 
So yeah, there's something about I yeah, it's stainless steel and aerospace. It's like yeah, I didn't I didn't know in space it reacted a certain way, but I knew it reacted a certain way to heat. Um, God knows what metals they use now. It's probably like really weird stuff. Those so things are to- totally badass though when they go up and they actually reland. Yeah, yeah, like that is cool to see on the camera because it's like it's gonna hit the ground. It's gonna, it's coming in fast. It's gonna hit the ground, <laughs> and like the last second that the, the rocket goes off and the legs come out and it just, it's like that's cool. That's actually you gotta be really or, smart to do that. Yeah, or or the or the worst even thing where it lands and then it just starts tipping over. Yeah, <laughs> and explodes like. Oh, well, that was still cool. It got to the pad. Because <laughs> isn't that like the big thing? Was like just to get, that gets the cost out of them is if we can reuse them. Yeah, reuse them. I don't know. Like I don't know. See, that's the thing I've always wondered. Is like they're starting to send people up on these things. If they ever send people up on one of their reused rocket, or does that get does that get shoveled in the cargo? These are cargo rockets now. We'll use them till. We're oh, done. it's like aircraft where it's like it has a five year arc of passenger service, and then yeah. immediately <laughs> is cargo, and then take the seats out. And that's where I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, because when, when if I can ride one and they're like, there's a discount for the recycled rocket, I was like, yeah, I'll bet there is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet there is. Uh, we cut to Muncie, Indiana, which I didn't know this was a heavy Indiana movie. Yep. So it's like this movie is Indiana, India, uh, Mongolia, Mexico, and Wyoming. <laughs> it's, yep. it's, a, it's an interesting mix of places you don't expect to be. So. There's some kid sleeping. He wakes up to noises like like a monkey toy starts clanging. All the electronics churn on by themselves. I think this is. <laughs> it was also reminiscent of horror movies. This is also kind of uh, maximum overdrive. And then I believe this also it's, it's, there's some concept similar here to a later movie in the '80s, which I don't think he directed, but I think he produced it called Batteries Not Included. Okay, which is basically like little small alien spaceships and like kids have fun. Um, and this is also very reminiscent of one of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, The Invaders. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, well, this isn't, yeah, batteries not included is like The Invaders Light. Because <laughs> yeah, in The yeah. Invaders, it's like, oh, these little men. It's, it's what a, I've always been fascinated about making a movie where that was scalable, where yeah. you see it from the point of the little tiny people and then the big person. But then you see, like, oh, the person is a giant like like a colossal <laughs> giant to these little people but they have energy weapons and technology and the the giant just has its fists and an axe which would be like a, <laughs> a nuclear bomb or an artillery <laughs> shell hitting these guys but the invaders you find out it's like the the nasa at the end it's yeah this flying saucer says like nasa on it it's like don't come actually, to the planet it's actually, a race of giants yeah. i think it says united states air force oh yeah maybe it was but yeah, just the, the, this is when the movie, you could realize this had a darker tone to it at one point. Yeah. <laughs> because this is really scary. <laughs> if yeah, it's the yeah, scene yeah. where he this, gets yeah, taken, it's like. Yeah, this is why like, I want to see this movie like not knowing what it's about. Because yeah, this is like, yeah, this is like, this is a horror movie right now. <laughs> Actually, the kid seems to be like having fun. It's like, oh, cool. My toys are coming alive. Awesome. <laughs> well, you know how uh, Steven Spielberg got this kid to do such a good job? is he would talk to him, because this was all practical. This was no green screen stuff, so all this stuff was going to happen at some point. Yeah. And he would tell him exactly what was going to happen. 
But then he would also have like the crew, like you couldn't see off camera, like dress up in silly costumes. Like one guy was dressed <laughs> as a clown, the other was dressed as a monkey, and they'd be like opening presents and like, look, it's for you. And that's why he was like, oh wow, when you <laughs> then you pan around and the toys are moving on their own, like that's a separate shot. Yeah. But you don't know that because Steven Spielberg did a great job of getting this kid to really, because he was like four or something. Like you yeah. don't really get a performance out of kids that age, but he figured out how to do it. Yeah. But he had to uh, yeah. explain to him like there's going to be loud noises and light. This is what's going on because it wasn't like nowadays where it's like this is just a green screen. Act this way. Act that way. It's like <laughs> no, this was a built set that they had to do some things. I didn't have the loud noise, but it had the lights and stuff for sure. Um, the kid goes downstairs and the refrigerator has been unloaded and even like the pop start to pop open. So like here you like, you have no idea what's going on. It's like, <laughs> it's like, why is this happening? Did something pull this out or is this just some mysterious force, invisible force acting upon this? And it's probably, I guess both maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, the a aliens are truly alien in this. Like you yeah. don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. They seem at one time technically sophisticated dangerous and then at the other time playful and whimsical at the same time yeah. it's like almost childlike it's like huh which is also dangerous it's yeah like, oh which way are they gonna go <laughs> what happens when these things mature <laughs> another twilight zone episode where the kid has the power of the god but a, the mentality of a 10 year old and yeah it's like yeah it's good you did that billy you know please don't kill us it's like, oh god <laughs> Uh, let me cut to the mom, uh, Jillian Geiler. She uh, wakes up um, to like all the stuff being on, like the the TV turns on. She like the toys run into her uh, her room. Um, now Nathan in the seventies did people not approve of a of, of a uh, a single woman raising a kid? <laughs> well, it never really described. Um... Because the actress in this was very uh, what was her name Melinda Dillon. Very striking, yeah. uh, a very striking looking woman with kind of a, an emotive face who didn't really deliver a lot of dialogue in this. Yeah. And um, so we don't know. It's kind of, I never got the backstory, but I don't know. I, it's, it's like, I think her husband might have died or there was some kind of yeah. tragedy there just by the way she was acting and how much yeah. she loved her son and was kind of, she was never like a very um like intense person but she's always like i'm you know we're gonna do this i want to find my son so i i always thought that like oh something bad happened and it's just her yeah. and her son so but yeah i mean god knows back then what people would say <laughs> it's like oh well you know jillian she she needs to get a man in her life because <laughs> what woman could take care of herself and and these hard times of you know this the carter administration is just ruining this country <laughs> Although in this movie, America doesn't look like garbage too much. It's oh no, for a sci-fi movie from the seventies, this is upbeat. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this is like positive <laughs> for for a seventies movie. Uh, she calls out for Barry. That's the kid's name. Gary runs off giggling into the dark yard. It's just like, it's like yeah, but this is a horror movie. And the kid's just walking into the jaws. Ran into a cornfield or something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, then we cut to Roy Neary. This is Richard Dreyfus. He's playing with trains and trying to teach his son Brad fractions. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't really do a great job of it. That seems like a bad way to explain a fraction. It's like, put stress on him. Like, yeah, this, these people are going to die. You better get an answer. These trains are going <laughs> to run into each other. Have you, have you, 
<laughs> have you seen the the weird uh, controversy around uh, like kids not being able able to read now? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know exactly what it is. There's a bunch of people that are like on like social media like professing like how stupid these kids are and they don't know how to read. And I was like getting into a Reddit forum and they're like breaking it down. We're like, apparently they try, they switch some things around. I don't know if this is like the same thing as new math, but they're trying to do sight reading okay. rather than phonetics. So, you know, like, so, like when I read, like, you know, in my mind, like it, like I sound out the word as I read. Yeah. And so here they're trying to get it to where it's like the speed reading stuff where it's like you don't sound out the word. You just absorb it in your head so you can get through it a lot quicker. <laughs> mm, I could see that, but I don't. It kind of defeats the point of like phonetic languages, like because we're not we're not like we don't have Asiatic languages where the words and the things you say don't relate. I mean, it's it's we kind of work together. I mean, I'm not sure if it's to get on like for kids to like read faster or what it was but apparently anyways it it's not it's not taking too well so now kids like, like the, not only do they not get sight the sight reading down they don't get phonetic reading down either and then they just don't know how to read and just, are just pretending i guess well i mean okay when we're talking when we talk about kids today it's like are they texting on a phone back and forth are they putting stuff on social media and guess what? They're reading. <laughs> They're reading and writing. So yeah, it's like so. Unless the kids like stop sending, like I don't know what this text thing is. It's like okay, yeah. I don't. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I was always I was always skeptical of any show where a plot line was about somebody who couldn't read. Like I just can't imagine that. Like oh. who can't learn how to read? <laughs> well. If it wasn't but, for mom and dad being very persistent with me, <laughs> uh, it, it might have happened with me because I was dead set against like, I don't have time for this. But then I'm glad they did because then I just like spent my whole like teen years just reading books. It never really stopped. I still do it to this day. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only thing weird like with my son, who's <laughs> my son, he's 20, 21 now. But um, the only thing different about him that I've noticed from the education he has is he never learned like cursive writing at all. Yeah. So it's like here, sign this. I mean, I didn't do great in cursive writing, but I can read it, and I and I have a cursive signature that I taught myself. He just writes his name. It's like, <laughs> well, no, you gotta like, you know, the G has the two loops, and the and he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh yeah, they quit doing that. <laughs> but now I've heard they're talking about bringing that back because that created a kind of a familiarity with writing that you know people. But I don't know. My son writes like great college papers. So, yeah. speaking of that? which, did I tell you he got like a hundred percent in a class? <laughs> like in his senior year, he was like, and it was some kind of like planning. I guess is like a conversation between two people. So, but yeah, I was amazed. It's like you got a hundred percent in a college level course. He's like, oh yeah. He says, oh, it wasn't the only one. It was like, wow, that's nuts. And it sounded like dense material, like it had a big yeah. book with it. And it's like, wow, a hundred percent. That's crazy. I didn't think that was possible. Oh I, yeah, I've done that a few times. Uh, but that's just because like I like not to brag, I'm just like, oh, I just did the assignment that I was told to do. And then like because you're prompt <laughs> and the rest of the class isn't, it's like basically by association, it's like, well, you get a hundred because you just did the assignment <laughs> like oh. we asked you to. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, there's no way I'd ever get like a hundred in like a math or science class because there's so many points that you could fail at one bit. Like, yeah, well, there goes my hundred. <laughs> but it was something like, yeah, I forget what it was, but it was something like plan out a year of teaching or a semester or something like with with tests that you have to make up and have the answer for both multiple choice essay and like, how would you evaluate? He went through all this stuff on his computers, just filled front to back with this stuff. And I, <laughs> I was like, wow, this, this sounds really, what, what'd you get in that? He's like, Oh, a hundred. It's like, Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> and it wasn't the only one this time either. Yeah. There was a couple of them. I was like, wow. Okay. He's on the Dean's list. <laughs> oh, he always has been. I don't think he ever was, wasn't. I don't know. He's not the student. I mean, he just, he seems more apt to stuff like that than I ever was. Cause me, I was like, always like this seesaw of like, I'm really good at this one thing, but I'm absolutely like, I'm literally like, I don't know if this guy can just walk and chew bubblegum. He's so bad at all this other stuff. Uh but then again, I never really tried either, so I guess you know that makes a difference. <laughs> and then one of his kids is just beating a baby doll to pieces inside of a baby carrot or whatever that carousel thing or whatever the hell that is. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the um, pack and play. Yeah. Yeah. And the family is a mess, and they don't pay attention to each other. And, and one of like... his kids is actually his nephew, who looks a lot like him. So oh, it was a <laughs> weird cast. It was a good casting choice. It's like, yeah, that looks like one of his kids. It actually looks like a young Richard, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, his family's awful in this. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, like, gives license for what happens later in the movie, yeah. which is, like, the most controversial thing in the movie is, like, he just, like, went off with the space people. And it's, like, yeah. it's probably best for all involved, it seems like. Yeah, because that's what's waiting for the whole time is, like, oh, there's going to be this redemption arc where he, like, wins his family back. And it's, like, nope, that's not what this movie's about. Nope. <laughs> It's about a journey of discovery <laughs> and happiness. Um, I think he works for the power company because he gets the, there's a call about the power grid losing power, and so it eventually goes out. Yeah, he's a lineman. He's an electrical lineman for the county. Okay. Then we cut to the whole town is losing power. Uh, we cut back to Jillian is out in the woods looking for Barry. Then we cut back to Roy's heading out somewhere looking for Cornbread Road. Yep. Uh, he he gets yelled at for stopping in the road, and he like wait. You see the lights pull up in the back, and then he just waves them around. They go by and honk at him. <laughs> He's like, "Where's cornbread?" <laughs> I like how he just has like all these maps all over the place. He even have one that's like, it's like in one of those like roll up, like window. Uh, I've always line. wanted one of those ever since <laughs> I saw this movie. It's like that's what you need to get around. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that before, so I was like, "Oh, that's nice." <laughs> That's also that's that's great. You can just use Google now rather than all this garbage. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is like, oh, you'd never do that now. You just have like a little, yeah. You have it on your phone at this point. Yeah, yeah. Those are that was a Ford F two fifty, and huh. those were some of the. Um, actually, it wasn't an F two fifty. It was all called they were all called F one fifties, but they uh, it was a like a super service model. Oh okay. And um, some of these. Uh, th these, this was for the power company, so they didn't have it, but some of these actually had like crew cabs on them back then, but they were custom built for like the railroads and stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, no, this was called an F-250. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it was kind of a cool looking, uh, these are, these are like the like, utility trucks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because you can say F-250. is like, oh, that seemed kind of small for an F-250. It seemed like a cool truck. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of a bummer that he loses it then, because I was like, oh, this must be a company vehicle then, because he doesn't have it at the end of the movie. No, no, he lost <laughs> that job. Um, He stops at a railroad crossing. He's distracted with all his maps, which he literally has like five maps out. <laughs> uh, and then it looks like there's another car pulling up behind him that he waves ahead. But then the lights just float up out of view. That's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that is a great scene. Because <laughs> he doesn't really notice it either. He's like, huh. yeah, yeah. But you see it, and it's like, what the hell is that? And then a line. There's a line of mailboxes start going crazy. Then the power goes out in everything. Like even like his, he gets out a flashlight and it goes out. And then there's a light that shines down above. It's blinding. Gravity in the truck goes crazy. <laughs> Uh, which you know for the set they just literally like flip the truck upside down while he was like locked into the vehicle uh or the set or whatever it was um there's like a point where like it looks like roy is like convulsing and then the lights turn off and then roy just sits there as like the insects chirp and everything comes back into focus so i took that like kind of weird like convulsion as like oh he he downloaded something (laughs) yeah because then like the truck starts again and the radio comes on and it really scares the hell out of you yeah Yeah, it's it's a really well yeah i think i I think the flashlight turns on first and he scares himself with that oh yeah that's right that's right (laughs) uh then then roy looks up and he sees like an object in the sky it's not like light it up it's like just like just like a gray image of it and it moves forward and then it kind of goes and it scans another section of the road and then moves on <laughs> it doesn't scan again here that's just that one time again yeah that he can see it's like uh then the power comes back on roy gets scared by his flashlight then the cb radio is the cb radio it's like ham radio <laughs> i i think that something like that okay uh there's he yeah, had like it, the number of antennas he, let me see how many antennas he had <laughs> on the roof i can tell you because i'm a dork like that <laughs> can't see in the picture i got i would assume that's some kind of sideband radio uh okay can't tell you what uh the cb radio is going crazy with reports going on so you know he's supposed to go somewhere and fix something but all the power's coming back on so he doesn't have to worry about it. oh here's where the, like the shadow of the craft looms around you get kind of a like they do to kind of show it but it's like not detailed not lit up it's big whatever uh, it is it's moving completely silently which is cool <laughs> which here i saw i at some point i was writing like spaceships but then like that's being presumptive <laughs> these are craft we don't know where its origin are from so. yeah these could be coming but, from the hollow earth yeah <laughs> and roy heads to harper valley we cut to barry runs atop a hill there's some dude that's whistling like i think he's whistling I wrote she'll be coming around the mountain, but he might be whistling some other song. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think you're right. But it's like a whole family there's like standing by. And it's a weird like kind of redneck family. And they seem to be like knowingly waiting for something, which <laughs> it's yeah. like what's going on here. Yeah, it's you're suddenly introduced to a cast of weird characters that are just going to be there. <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going on. Like, oh, are they going to know these people? And <laughs> uh, then a few spaceships go flying by uh the rednecks seem to have some idea that this would happen uh the yeah there's all different kinds of spaceships here like different shapes sizes colors there's one that's just like a red orb and it doesn't appear to have like a body to it yeah 
So yeah, the craft speed through the toll booth that gets set up, and then the cops and Roy give chase, which here, the, the, the guy at the toll booth is like, hey, you need to pay, and like everyone just runs through it, so that's kind of funny. So nobody likes toll booth. Yeah. <laughs> that's communist road building. <laughs> uh, the craft fly off, uh, and when it does that, it tricks a cop into just like busting through like a barricade and flying off the the cliff it's not a huge cliff so they don't die but they do go for a little rally ride there so yeah it wouldn't feel good to be in the car <laughs> no airbags going off at that time <laughs> i think my spine went into my throat <laughs> yeah. the craft the craft like disperse into thunder crowd clouds and then the power like all comes back online so i'd be in that that's the end of act one because it's like oh well we got some spacecraft or whatever and they seem to be creepy and kind of whimsical, so we have no idea what to what to think here. Is this a good or bad omen? Uh, we have Act Two. Roy comes back home trying to explain what he just saw to his wife Ronnie. She's just like laying in bed sleeping. <laughs> uh, I think she says it's like four a.m. right now, and so there's a phone rings and like Ronnie answers it, and like they're on the like looking for Roy, which I don't know if they need him to do something or if they're just like, hey, did you see that? That was crazy. Uh, then Roy grabs the kids and, and and Ronnie, and they all head out to go look, go to back to that hill to try to look for the craft, but, but it doesn't show up. Here's where I, like half of Roy's face is sunburned from the craft lights when they scanned his truck. Which again, like this is the first time I actually watched it all the way through, so I didn't realize like this half the face sunburn thing lasts for like I don't know, like an hour and a half of the movie. Yeah, it's in there quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, they, they park atop the hill, but nothing happens. But she, yeah, Ronnie takes it well. She seems to be like, hey, this is crazy, but like I, I put up with it. So it's like, let's go back home. <laughs> you have a nice, like, upper middle class lifestyle because of this job. So cool. Um, I think I forgot to put in, like, also, like, when, when they were with the redneck staring at the, at the, at the spaceship going by, like, I think Barry's in the middle of the road and Roy almost hits him. So oh, we're yeah. killing and, and, and Roy kind of cross paths. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, because he was standing in the middle of the road, and <laughs> yeah, Roy like crashes into a fence trying not to hit him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the lights are out, so there's like he can only see him when he appears in his headlights, and it's on a curve. So, you know, it wasn't like lights back then had great reach or wide beam. <laughs> and a '70s vintage heavy work truck with like drum <laughs> brakes all the way around it. He's had no stopping power at all. Then we cut to Gobi Desert, Mongolia. A guy's like leading some camels around. Here's some UN trucks and helicopters appear over like a sand dune. Now these are Jeep Wranglers for some reason. Okay. <laughs> Where the opening shot in Mexico, they had a, a a rover, which probably a rover 88, which probably wouldn't be there, or maybe it would. I don't know. Huh. But the United Nations only uses Jeep Wrangler or Jeep Wagoneers or something in the desert. But yeah, this also because like they're just with the American military for the rest of the movie, so I'm not sure if like they're a part of the UN here, or if they're just using UN resources in this instance. So. Well, I think because it's in India, that would be like your nearest. Like you wouldn't have the U.S. military running around India. Yeah. Um. But you might. I don't know. Was Nero still <laughs> the guy then? I don't know. They were. I know. I know they tried to create the non-aligned movement, but yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole other uh, thing. It's a science group from Mexico, so now they're here in in Mongolia. Uh, and they see a ship that's just in the middle of the desert when it shouldn't be there. The the Cotopaxi is yep. just left there in the desert. Nobody on board. Um, which this was another ship that was lost in the Bermuda Triangle. So, uh, which they found, they did find. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> found it off like the coast of Florida. Yeah, but in this movie, they find it here because <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, because what's a ship doing in the middle of the desert? <laughs> but yeah, which I thought, I for some reason I I I imagine I remember this scene, but I thought it was like much bigger, and there was like a bunch of ships. I didn't, I don't remember it being just the one. I thought it was like a bunch. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Because I thought there was something where it was like like they had some opportunity where like I don't know some something went crazy with and like a bunch of ships were abandoned when like a, 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 like a place the water dried up somewhere it's like let's go shoot that that'll be awesome there's just a bunch of ships in the middle of the desert <laughs> um that must be another movie i'm thinking of or something yeah then we cut to ronnie's cutting out ufo sightings from the paper so she's trying to hide him from roy which here yeah here like I don't know. This might be like the, maybe one of the bigger problems with the movie, which I think is a legitimate thing, is like the passage of time. No idea. No. <laughs> Between yeah. scenes. Yeah, you don't know if it's days, weeks. <laughs> I'm assuming it's, like, it's all concurrent. And it's happening within like a week and a half. Was the time frame I gave it, but that might be too small. Yeah. I mean, like it seems like his his family falls apart pretty quickly, but also like these scientists to be jet setting around the world even with like 70s technology would still still take an effort like you know days of travel to get places so um but yeah know, it's it's not necessary i guess the kids prank roy by like what do they have like they got a camera and they spank him with a paddle and then he seems cool with it he's like ah and he just kind of like roars at them rather than getting pissed off and trying to beat them up for hitting him yeah yeah he seems like kind of a fun dad who's like <laughs> He definitely like he keeps a hard school of like people are gonna die if you don't solve your math problem. This is why this is why math is important. People die, but he does seem like a like he seems like a guy who was a child himself. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like kind of whimsical. Yeah, kind, but he's got that train set, so yeah. <laughs> kind of resents the adult world. Doesn't quite fit in at work. Yeah. There, there's other scenes with him at work in extended cuts. I don't even think they were put in the movie. There's deleted scenes where oh, okay. people are kind of like, well, you think you're up for it, Neary? You know, you think you can handle this? Can you not screw this up? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, sir, I think I'm ready. He's like, well, you better be because you're fired if you screw this. You know, so it's like it always established him as he was, he was sort of an outsider it, all the time. Oh, okay. So wasn't really necessary the movie, but it's like, oh, okay. It makes more sense. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. You know, the, then, the, like his character arc would be more like, like it tied to that rather than it seems like. Well, he seems to be like a fine dad, and then just like this weird thing happens, and he seems to just kind of have a psychological break, and then nobody gives him any kind of leeway with it, and he's like, "Well, f- all you guys, yeah. see you later." <laughs> I'm discovering myself. Uh, Roy sprays shaving cream into his hand, and he's reminded of something that he can't recall. Yeah, you know, which makes sense. Like if an alien's putting images in your brain, then you know, and like it can't, it doesn't know your language, then like yeah, that's gonna get confusing. <laughs> Ryan, Ronnie's trying to discourage Roy from getting caught up in UFOs because, like, I guess this is just his thing. He just gets caught up in stuff. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this is why there's a train set like in the middle of the like I don't know the dining room or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be a guy who's always looking for something but never finding it. Well, I always thought like. Uh, I, you know, remembering all this stuff like he kind of builds. I always thought that was like in the garage, but no, it's just kind of like in the living room. Yeah, it's in the house. In yeah. The kitchen. It's like, oh yeah, he doesn't have an area for himself. <laughs> yeah, this is like in the way of the family. <laughs> and then there's a phone call that Ronnie takes the phone call, and then Roy is just apparently fired without any reason given, and <laughs> they don't even want to talk to him. So, <laughs> uh, 
this, you know, the, you know, the scenes you said of him at work, this might have given more um, credence to like why he was fired. But here it's just kind of a mystery, which I always thought like, oh, am I supposed to take that like he saw something he shouldn't, and then the government's getting back at him? But that's not a thing. No, no. <laughs> he was just fired for general incompetence, I guess, or something. So, um, yeah, because we don't really ever see him be good at his job. That's. <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah. It's like I said, there is there are some deleted scenes on YouTube you can look up where he's talking to the people at his work, and because he's kind of like a, I don't know if he was like a, I don't know how that works. It sounds like he just became like a journeyman electrician, and he was looking for yeah. his, you know, his break. It's like he'd been working in the plant a while, but the the good good time, the better work is out in the field on the lines. Uh. And, um, they didn't think he was ready for it and it's like well maybe he would have been if he wasn't like a you know brainwashed by a ufo but you know it's not exactly an osha reportable so you're not going to get credit for it uh that's a pre-existing condition yeah <laughs> uh, i wrote cut i wrote we cut to back in mongolia question mark and the science team is investigating a new area and we titles uh dharmashala northern india uh there's a big crowd that's like meditating and chanting. It's very, it's very eerie and kind of pleasant at the same time. Because it's like, like ten thousand people, like <laughs> ah, ha ha ha. You know, it's it's like oh, this is really weird. Uh, the team like walk around and, and record the sounds, which is also very weird because it's like you're kind of invading their space, but they don't really seem to care. care. Uh, apparently, these these people are trying to communicate back to a spacecraft they were visited by. Uh, I mean, we presume. Uh, Claude is here. He's giving a present. Oh, wait, no, we cut to. They're in like a, uh, like a, like in an arena or whatever. I'm not sure that's the right way to say it. Uh, there's you know, a bunch of chairs set up. Claude's giving a presentation to about like, I don't know, like 50 people. So they don't fill up the place. Um, it's a presentation by the science team here. They're correlating like deaf hand signals for like teaching music to deaf people. Mm -hmm. uh, and correlating it to the indian chants um and so we and then we get a computerized sound at the end of the uh kind of mimicking the the uh, what they say the da na 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 and, and then the group cheers <laughs> and yep. it's like oh this is completely left up to you to what this means <laughs> like this is a presentation and the only thing they explained is like hand signals and chants well yeah it goes from being like what what was going on out there? What does it mean? And now we've take, applied it to a computer, and now we have we have tones. Yeah. Which you know, tones are how computers talk sometimes, or you know. Which I feel like there's a missing into this, where like they've gotten this signal somewhere else before, and then they're hearing it repeated here, where it's like, oh, that's intention, but that's not that's not what goes on in the scene. No, no. <laughs> uh, then we cut to. Roy is out at night with his camera looking for UFOs like a crowd gathers at the top of that hill. Jillian shows up with showing off her sunburn as well. And they're like, hey, <laughs> you got one too. Uh, Roy sees Barry building just a mound of dirt. And so Roy here gets deja vu again. <laughs> and this is his first time saying like, this means something. <laughs> uh, then they see some lights coming in, but then it's just helicopters. And the rotor wash just like ruins the gathering as everything's blown away. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I don't know. There's like no loudspeakers. There's not like, are they here to disperse the people or is this just happenstance? No, they're there to disperse them. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, but nobody like says like, 
hey, we're here, or you need to leave. And they just show up, land, and then everybody runs away. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm assuming these people have all gotten whatever happened to Roy. Like, yeah. something's like that's happened to him, and, you know, the government's, like, not stupid. They understand that there's things <laughs> afoot. And it's like, don't let these people gather together and share ideas. Next thing, they'll be doing January 6th, so... <laughs> Uh, then we cut to Echo Deep State Deep Space Station titles Goldstone Radio Telescope Station fourteen. Uh, they're picking up a repeating pattern in response to the musical tone. I guess they're broadcasting it. They just get some numbers repeated, and here there's like, oh, this is me nothing. It's all the same thing, so it's, there's no meaning to it. But here's where David picks up on that, like the numbers being coordinates. Yeah, because he's so, a cartographer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so they go steal a globe out of one of the offices, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they can map the coordinates here. They trace it to Wyoming. Uh, Specifically the... Devil's Tower, Wyoming, which is <laughs> a cool looking mountain. Oh, is that the name peak. of like the place? Not just the, 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 the plateau or whatever. Well, it's called a butte. Oh, it's butte. an isolated hill with a small vertical sides and a flat top. So it's not really a mountain. So it's like it's like a it's like a knoll or something. What's the difference between that and a mesa? Isn't a mesa like that, where it's flat top and kind of? Maybe the difference is size. Okay. Or maybe it's because it's igneous rock. I don't know. There's always something. You ever been there? No, I don't think so. You ever wanted to go? <laughs> After seeing this movie, I think I do. Okay. <laughs> I want to go to the dark side of the moon and play. You know my. Well, I thought you had like pictures over something, and like I thought this was like you're fascinated by the Devil's Tower. Um, Maybe you went sometime. I can't remember. Maybe no, I've never it. been there. Okay, we should go. Bring your keyboard. <laughs> Claude's on the phone, like speaking French, and then he like plays the tune on a on the piano, which is again, this is all they're, they're not they're not they're not uh, translating it for here. So it's this is like a two minute scene where it's like, wait, what's going on? Well, scientists are arguing in the background. So <laughs> let me cut to Barry's playing, uh, Barry's playing the tune. So this is coming off of Claude doing it. So it's kind of like really link those scenes together. Cause he's got like that. I can't remember what those called xylophone thing or whatever. It's like the, you hit it with the, yeah. It's uh, like a bar you hit. <laughs> yes. And then Jill, Jillian is drawing uh, devil's tower. And then she just like gathers all the paintings and throws them away. <laughs> it's like, why were you painting them? And then just immediately throwing them away. Uh, then we got an ominous thunderstorm rolls in, uh, which just looks really cool. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I read, you know, like, I, I read some of the like the effects things and how they had to create it, and it's like a it's a very bizarre and clever way of using like different weighted like liquids together and then like injecting oil and stuff like that oh okay <laughs> uh there's like colorful lights that hide amongst the storm clouds so, so here's also where i get like the nope kind of things going on here yeah like, oh yeah the, the terror's in the clouds <laughs> orb ships like approach the house jillian starts to like barricade the house like this whole sequence just becomes a sam raimi kind of horror movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool because this is again like that this moment it's a horror movie <laughs> you don't you don't know the intention oh of yeah the when she's like got her hand inside the the, the uh fireplace yeah like trying to close the flu because back that that kind you had to reach up in there and close that it's like and there's just that light coming down you see her hand like that's really frightening <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. that's the that is a really cool scene 
Because, like, is it going to get her arm? <laughs> you know? <it's... laughs> yeah, because also, like, all we see are the ships. We don't see, like, the beans inside them. We have to imagine all the beans are behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. Barry goes to open a door, and the house is getting surrounded by orange light. She closes the door when he opens it, and uh, they hear people walking on the roof. Uh, we get Rami Cam through the through the chimney. This is where she like reaches through the cameras, like coming down through the chimney, and she's you see her hand coming up, reach it. It's like oh, they almost got her. <laughs> um, the kid's like real happy about being abducted. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's cool with it. He's having fun. Yeah, a toy. <laughs> uh, there's a rattle from the basement, and like there's a return duck that that starts to un- unscrew itself. A return duck that uh, is being covered up by a carpet. It's like it's like I guess you don't want fresh air, dude. No. <laughs> this house is a closed loop system. <laughs> or 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 it's uh, abandoned in place, and they have a whole new system, and <laughs> so it's like yeah, we don't need that anymore. Uh, but this, yeah, the screws start unscrewing themselves, which is really cool looking and ominous. It's like oh, something wants to get in here. It's like why? And how's it doing that? By the way, <laughs> is that a sonic screwdriver? <laughs> and why does it think it's a good idea and can it fit through the the, the, the duct uh, vacuum cleaner goes off by itself Jillian picks up the phone and you get the digital melody is playing through so it's like this is some kind of response and then Barry calls through the dog door and then like he gets tugged he gets tugged of ward away because she grabs his leg and then something else is pulling on the other side and then eventually he's pulled through and then and then Jillian runs outside like trying to chase the storm but like Barry's gone now, stolen by the aliens. Yeah, and it just like dissipates so rapidly. Yeah. Like this crazy loud storm and these weird clouds or whatever. And then, yeah, she runs outside and it's just like light into the, into the sky. Like the storm's gone, everything. It's really, it's yeah. a wild scene. <laughs> it still looks good to this day. It's like movies oh, yeah. 50 years old. It still yeah. looks good. Yeah, which is funny. Looking up the effects guy, I guess this is uh, Douglas Trumball who did like, we did Silent Running. We saw his movie. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Was like, I was like, oh, this kind of looks like Blade Runner. And this kind of looks like Star Trek, the motion picture. I'm like, oh, guess who worked on both yeah. those movies? Because yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> then we cut to big science and military do something at a warehouse. There's a special group like in red, ruby red uniforms, which is like, I love those red uniforms. Those are cool. <laughs> uh, there's engineers and scientists are working our way to evacuate a large area of Wyoming. So they're trying to figure out like, how can we trick everybody to leaving? Um, and we see like trucks are being disguised. They're sitting out. There's like Piggly Wiggly and like a lot. Again, McDonald's shows up. I wonder if the, I wonder if this was like they got paid to put this stuff in here. Or you just put McDonald's and everything in the seventies. It showed up in Dog Day Afternoon when it's like you don't need that in this movie. But it's like uh, I wonder if McDonald's was doing a big push, an advertising push for movies, or if it was just like, well, that's a thing Americans do. <laughs> Get the McDonald's out there. Yeah, it's yeah, it could be. I don't know if they yeah, they, 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 I don't know if they did product placement back then. <laughs> Probably helped offset the budget. Yeah, but yeah, there's, yeah, some stuff with the fun stuff with the scientists are discovered. Like ah, we can't say like it's we can't say it's an outbreak because then somebody somebody's always gonna think that they're immune to it. <laughs> it's like oh, how true that is. Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah. But then they say, then like ah, I have the idea, and I I don't know what the idea is. It's like they say like a train crash, and they just want like. Because they do put out the idea of like, oh, we'll say it's anthrax, but they're like, oh, that won't scare anyone away. I was like, wait. <laughs> but then the ultimate plan is they're just trying to say there's just some. It's nerve military gas. Military toxic. And that scares them more than 
saying well, like, what's the difference between say nerve gas and anthrax wouldn't that be the same thing well nerve to gas a- is a disease you can treat or i'm sorry right. anthrax is a disease you can treat with like antibiotics nerve gas will just kill you okay so there's no unless you like have atropine or something but, handy but everybody knows to be scared the same way by that oh yeah yeah well it's not hard to like put get people on the news and say like yeah vx gas is loose in the county it's and this is what it'll do to you okay. yeah it just it, you'll suffocate you'll, <laughs> your body's the receptors in your brain that say absorb oxygen will stop working uh, then we cut to the family dinner. Roy is silent and distracted. He gets past the potatoes, and here's where he starts building the the, the ice sculpture out of the pa- potatoes, uh, which I probably, I guess I should say mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I guess I'm probably seeing more of the scene from uh, UHF where, <laughs> where yeah. Weird Al does that. It goes, this means something, which I don't know. It's barely a joke, but I just love it because it's Weird Al. Yeah. <laughs> it, they basically... That's like literal parody. He does the exact same thing from this movie, says the exact same dialogue, but it's interpreted as comedy rather than drama. <laughs> and that's parody. It's literally doing the same thing with different intentions and why you can do that. Yeah, that's why it's it's an art. <laughs> Not just anyone can do that. So yeah, he carves out the devil's rock and the and the well, I guess it's more of a mountain because he doesn't figure it out it's de- the devil's tower to later on. But as he's like looking at it and goes like, this means something. It's important. And like the whole family's crying, even him. It's like, oh man, this family sucks. <laughs> and then his kid, one of his sons gets mad. He's crying. He sucks. You know, he's, I think he actually says that or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's so terrible. <laughs> uh, let me cut to Roy's in his work room at night and they're like, He's like beating the hell out of like molding clay. He's like running outside, yelling to the sky, like, what is it? Uh, then we cut to Ronnie wakes up to Roy crying in the shower. And like the door's locked, so she has to like get like a knife out to get through the door. Um, and then just Roy's just getting blasted. Like, I don't know, like the the, the pressure on the shower is like amazing. Yeah, that's like good <laughs> shower pressure. <laughs> it's gonna take your skin off. It's like a fire hose. Like, kind of what kind of county power man stuff are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, he's just getting blasted in the shower, fully clothed. Uh, I think the elder son comes in and, like, uh, and is that when he him. says he sucks? He's crying. Yeah, he's, okay, yeah, I thought cry it was a... baby and he gets angry, <laughs> which I don't know. Like, where, yeah, because he seems like a fine dad with like a mild mannered father. So, like, I don't know, like, we're where, like, I don't know if they have, like, a terrible grandpa and, like, he gave him some life lessons about being a man and, like, he's trying to utilize it against Roy here or something. I don't know where this kid gets it, but... Now, these kids have been watching a lot of black and white TV from the 50s on (laughs) reruns, and... It's like, men don't cry. (laughs) Men hide their pain with alcohol. Uh, Ronnie is screaming at Roy and angry with like their family situation because like again we don't know how long he's been out of work. It's kind of implied it's been a while. Yeah, he's the, and he's not looking for work. Uh, I mean, there's never there doesn't seem to be like they're running out of money. That doesn't seem to be the issue. It's just they're they've completely lost any kind of patience for whatever mental anguish he has going on, and they have no time for it. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Roy's back at the clay, but then he just falls asleep and wakes up to cartoons. Here, Roy starts like ripping up all his UFO news clippings, and 
he goes to tear the clay apart. Where he's like, "Oh, honey, I'm done with it. It's all right." Then here he goes to to, to rip the the uh, mountain apart that he built, and then like it like rips straight off, and so it has a flat top now. And this is where he's struck with more deja vu. So now he's like, now he's all back in. <laughs> it's like the mystery continues. Uh, and meanwhile, Ronnie has gathered all the kids, and then like she's going to her sisters, uh, and then like he's like climbing on the car to try to get her stop and she just takes off and he rolls off the car and like um the so neighbors are all outside <laughs> yeah uh they hit the big wheel she backs into the big wheel on the way <laughs> um and uh so yeah his family's now gone from the movie <laughs> again not expecting that uh then we cut to it's like sometime later like a disheveled and dirty roy is building a giant model of devil's tower so it's like he just like gathered mud from outside. Yeah, wasn't he taking in. like plants from his like yeah. shrubs from his landscaping? <laughs> which I cringed at that because I realized I don't know how much that kind of landscaping costs. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, you're wasting a lot of money. At least hundreds of dollars in the seventies, <laughs> now thousands. But yeah. You know. Uh there's a news report of like a military train collision, so they need to evacuate Devil's Tower. Um, Roy gets an emotional phone call with his with his wife, and like basically this is where it's like concluded that like his marriage is falling apart. And it's like, well, no, just let me talk to you in person. <laughs> so, uh, here's where Roy sees Devil's Tower. Yeah, because in the TV, TV behind him, he's talking to his wife, and you see Devil's Tower on the TV. Yeah. And it's like, is he gonna turn around and see it in time? <laughs> and so yeah, here he's overcome with emotion again, and so now he's like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm done with my family. <laughs> yep. Uh, we also intercut with with uh jillian or what's her yeah jillian having the same reaction so yeah um but she's trying to find her only family (laughs) two people different reasons you know got to get to this same place different goal uh then we cut to roy's on the road to wyoming which indiana to wyoming that's got to be a drive (laughs) yeah it's at least two hours (laughs) um he again has a comical amount of maps, which yeah, I guess in that day you need. So. Yeah, yeah. There's no GPS back then. I mean, there is, but it would be as big as the car. <laughs> Only the government has it then. Uh, we get titles: Moorcroft, Wyoming. Uh, Roy nearly runs into all the people evacuating the area. Uh, Roy walks into the town, and it's like being evacuated in a hurry. Jillian is like calling for Roy's attention. They kind of find and hug each other. Yeah, aren't they like, like getting in train or people are being put on train cars? Yeah. Something <laughs> ominous like that. Like, oh, that never ends well. Yeah, the, the MP comes up and he's like, all right, I guess I'll let you like hug each other and I'll be on my way. And they're trying to force her into a train car before. So it's like, <laughs> it's like I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all kind of a, it's all haphazard here. Uh, you know, sometimes hurt, hurt, hurting people is like hurting cats. <laughs> they all have their own separate agendas uh, yeah <laughs> oh yeah there's also people like uh, hawking gas masks and chickens. yeah they got like hucksters <laughs> like you can buy live chickens gas masks so now jillian and roy they need to sneak uh through and like and drive through a fenced area and they start like rally carring <laughs> their way through the country roads uh it's just again I, I missed the truck this would probably have been cooler with the truck but i guess you gotta you know, gotta get the station wagon out to rally car <laughs> What is um, that station wagon? Uh, uh, they stop at a roadblock, but they also like can. You don't see it, but they can see the Devil's Tower. They get out of the car and they 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 climb up through some like 
fencing and like they see it and so they get back in the car and so then they're, they're trying to move closer to the to devil's tower to see cattle 77 ford ltd wagon huh <laughs> let's see what kind of engine that had anything from a 302 windsor to a 350 335 uh, or a 400 cubic inch cleveland v8 I'm willing to bet that one probably had a... Well, let's see. No, no, the... the Oh, the station wagons had the big engine. So, with 400 cubic inches in the late 70s, that thing was probably producing a cool 107 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> and still getting like five miles to the gallon. Yeah. It's, it's most thermally inefficient era. <laughs> you know why the engines sucked back then? It's because all the pollution crap they put on them. Because wow. all they had were those giant engines, so they're like, oh, yeah. we'll just put two-barrel carburetors on them and put pollution stuff on them. And yeah. that's why idiots like me and my friends came along like 20 years later, like, put four-barrel carburetors, cams in them, cut the exhaust off. It's like, <laughs> oh, this thing's screaming through the night. It's like, yeah, and you don't even have to do much to them. Uh, it's just, but they also got like single-digit gas mileage too. But yeah, it's like, yeah, those are fine. They just didn't want to retool their engines. It wasn't until the 80s when they started like really perfecting the four and six cylinder, you know, fuel injected engines that you could get the equivalent power out of them. Huh. And now it's crazy. Like engines literally that would people had in their lawn, you know, riding lawnmowers are now in cars with turbochargers on them, make 190 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, you know, the engine burns out after 130,000 miles, but the engines yeah. back then didn't even last that long. So it's like <laughs> you're, you're, you're still winning. Yeah, who replaces an engine nowadays? <laughs> you just replace the car. Yeah. Well, I remember you could. I have. There was one vehicle I had. I put a junkyard motor in, which means you get a functional engine out of a junkyard and just hook. And I bought it for like twelve hundred dollars, and it lasted another like another seventy thousand miles. Now you get a junkyard motor. It's like oh, it's eight thousand dollars, and it's like well, it may or may <laughs> not explode. It's like so. Of course, you just replace the car. You know, it's. And that was just me and a bunch of guys doing it in our backyard. Like, <laughs> I couldn't imagine. If I had to do that nowadays, I'd probably like just, it's like, well, maybe I should just die. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> if I had to think about crawling around under a car and putting an engine in it, it's like, oh, no, I can't imagine doing that now. <laughs> but it was actually fun back then. So they're they're driving closer to, De to Devil's Tower. They see, like, cattle that's either dead or sleeping on the side of the road, which you I mean, this is where you're supposed to take, like, the horror of it. It's like they're dead, which I forget where I, like, I must have known something earlier because, like, I know, like, oh, they're sleeping. They're not actually dead. <laughs> but, you know, in the movie, that could be like, oh, they did. No, they're, they're crazy. They actually did release something. <laughs> yeah, they did. Let, yeah, they are VX gas, those cows. Which actually, back to that scene when they're first talking about, like, we need to evacuate the area, and they're talking about, like, anthrax and stuff like that i thought they were like trying to find ways to kill the aliens and not just create a false dilemma to get evacuate there <laughs> yeah so yeah when they see all the dead cattle they put on their ma gas masks that they got also like jillian's holding the they have a chicken in a cage here uh, so they keep going on uh they get stopped by scientists in the military they get separated and take away in different cars then we cut to roy's in an interrogation room here david and claude are like interrogating them which they don't seem too like mad about them. They just want want to know things. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, 
These they okay. have some idea what's going on because they're asking yeah. him questions like, "Have you dreamed about this place? Have you thought about this? Have you talked to others about it?" Like they know that <laughs> it's like people are being drawn here. They just don't know yeah. why. Well, first they're trying to like reinforce like the lie that like, "Oh, there's toxins in the area," and he's like, "No, there is." <laughs> Uh, and so then they're like, okay, well, he's one of them. So then they start questioning about like the, the, all the people that had close encounters. And so they start laying out all the people have all the, all the people have these similarities, like, you know, like hives and migraines and stuff like that. And like, they have visions and stuff. <laughs> it's like, all it's, and it's all people from, well, I would say all around the world, but it's basically from somewhere in the Midwest have congregated here. Yeah. <laughs> so. As much as people can reasonably get there, because all those guys from India couldn't, couldn't, probably couldn't make it to Devil's yeah. Tower. <laughs> so yeah, we cut to the the decontamination camp is revealed. Uh, Roy's put on a helicopter with other civilians. These are all the other people that have had an encounter. It's also, I think, there's a bunch of people from the hill here. Like, I think we're supposed to like recognize them. <laughs> I'm not sure. I kind of thought that too, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, and I couldn't really like do research and find it out, so I'm just going to assume. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they also have like a kind of, some kind of knowing nod, so it's like, oh, they all have like some kind of shared knowledge and experience that they can't ex- explicitly express. Roy braves to take the mask off, and everything seems fine, and he like riles up the people to like rebel. And then Roy, Jillian, and like some dude like make a run for the t- the Devil's Tower. <laughs> Everyone else stays in the helicopter. Yeah. So here's also it's where it's revealed that the army have like dosed the area with sleeping gas on the livestock. Uh, we get helicopters are like flying around broadcasting a warning, but they're also like just dropping off sleeping gas. So I'm guessing they're intentionally trying to get Jillian and Roy here. <laughs> yeah, they seem to be like specifically looking for them. But as we learned from the Breslin Theater thing, like that sleeping gas stuff is not as cool as you think it is. <laughs> Uh, then we get oh yeah the guy's Larry Jillian Larry and argue with Roy about the be- the best way up the mountain because they all like drew pictures of it so they only know like one side of it but because Roy built a sculpture of it he knows all sides of it. See folks, model builders they solve problems. <laughs> and this is why ultimately they take him and nobody else. Right. <laughs> it's like you were the best weirdo. <laughs> you were the most dedicated <laughs> lunatic. You you tore up your shrubs. <laughs> Let's see here. Larry stops to rest, and then a chopper flies by, and then just dusts him with sleeping gas. He, I wrote, he like falls asleep, but really he just kind of like drools and breathes heavy. So I was like, is he dead? Yeah. <laughs> is that the nerve gas? Why didn't he uh, burst into flames? Let <laughs> me cut to like they're they're, just, they're trying to make it up. Roy has trouble climbing up the mountain. He's like slipping, and then like Jillian has to grab him and pull him up, and they they like, just avoid getting gassed. Uh, then they happen upon the the brightly lit like landing pad and like also runway. It's like a it's like a circle at the end of a runway. So it's both a landing pad and a runway. Yeah, we don't they're they're expecting any kind of vehicle. So so that being the end of Act Two, not because it's at their lowest, because this is, this last scene is like thirty minutes long. So it's the last act of the movie. Yeah. So. Yes, we are now at the dark side of the moon, as they call it. Which this also reminds me a lot of the end scene, the V'ger scene from motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture. <laughs> yeah, kind of similar lighting and yeah, everything's getting that really washed out white look to it. And, and like, but like the mountains in Star Trek, the motion picture is those weird, like 
like hexagonal columns oh, that yeah. are like poking out at different things, which is kind of how the mountain looks here. Uh, there's like a voice like coordinating people because there's a bunch of science people around. Like all these people seem chill. They're not the military trying to gas people. They're just do they're just doing science work. If you made it this far, you're in the science circle. You're safe. <laughs> Uh, there's That's where I hear the announcer. He calls it the dark side of the moon. Oh, okay. <laughs> which was also uh, an homage to the uh, uh, Pink Floyd album. Yeah. Uh, there's objects in the sky that are moving. And if you pay attention to the lyrics from the Pink Floyd album, Dark Side of the Moon, kind of correlates with some of the things going on in this movie. Oh. <laughs> Odd how that works. <laughs> it is. Well, also, there's like the Wizard of Oz. Is, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's like that's not true, but it's really cool. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's a that's a hell of an association. Well, I mean, that's just because like music and time signatures are very similar, and so you can kind of pose them together with anything. Yeah, yeah, because music is not just some random event; it's based on timing and sequencing. Because uh, if uh, everyone just started playing their instruments full blast and screaming, it wouldn't be much of a song. Uh, but yeah, most things are in four four scale. But there's like some things that I think it's um that's was it song that everybody wants to rule the world. I think that's in like five sixteenth scale or something weird like that. I can't remember what. But yeah, it's in a different time signature. So like, try putting that to things. It's like it won't fit like the way you think it would. It's no, like, that's music. It should just fit, right? It's like no, no. Yeah, most music's just like four four beats. Yeah, everything. But then you get in this. It's like oh, we're getting crazy now. But that's when you get into jazz and all that stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, this is why millions of people don't listen to jazz. <laughs> Getting a headache. <laughs> I I need um, uh, yeah, I need the uh, square dancing stuff. <laughs> uh, there's objects in the sky that are moving abnormally. Here they just look like stars, but you know they're floating around all different kinds of directions. Um. Which is a common thing in you know your fake UFO videos of people. It's like just animating a dot that looks like a star, and it's like, oh my god, it's moving abnormally. When I used to sit in the backyard and look through my telescope, I would see things like that. Yeah. But it was pointing at a certain area of the sky that my phone and or my laptop told me, and that was a satellite. But you could only <laughs> see it through the telescope. Couldn't see it from the ground. Huh. But when you see it through the telescope and especially when like the moon's out and the and the and the light bouncing off the moon is hitting the satellite from the sun it's like that looks like oh there's something otherworldly going on it's like yeah it's a telecom satellite it's like well that still looks really cool through this telescope it's extraterrestrial it's not on air <laughs> yeah it is it's from outer space literally uh roy and jillian just kind of watch from the rocks uh, the craft roll in and hover above the base. Here, there's the setup with the electronic keyboard and a light board that like coordinates with it. Uh, they're trying to communicate with the, the craft. Claude has them like speed up the melody, and then the craft like start responding. And then the clap, the, then the craft just fly off. And then there's like a celebration. They're like, "Wait, what does that mean?" <laughs> we did it. We're done. Everyone, pack it in. Uh, then the scientists start looking up in the sky. There's a storm cloud that's rolling in it like surrounds the tower uh roy and jillian move closer uh more craft than ever start showing up so now there's like i don't know hundreds of aircraft or, or spacecraft going around here uh then then uh one of the ships gets close to the scientists and kind of like scans them 
And then uh, Roy says he needs to get closer, and Jillian says she can't, but she knows Roy needs to go down there. So then they kiss for no reason, and Roy leaves. Yeah, because these two don't. It's not like he's leaving his wife for this lady or something. It's like you always think that's in the movie, but it's really, no, this is a guy so traumatized by his experience. Uh, and she is, too, by her experience. It's like it was almost like a thing like just humans do. It's like, good luck. Yeah. You know, it's, it was so, well, it's, I mean, there's that scene where they, where he's in like he gets out of the shower and he's basically like, you know, I need help. And he's just asking his wife, can you hold me? And she doesn't. So here they just kind of like hold each other and kiss. And so it's just kind of like, I need some human stuff right now because it might be the last time I get to do it. Yeah, I might be going to that big, you know, gig in the sky, as Pink Floyd <laughs> said. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I can, I can, you know, I, I wasn't, I was taken aback by it. It's like, as if you look at it as purely as like, he's cheating on his wife. It doesn't look good, but that's not really what's going no. on here. Like these are both distressed people in a very like new and uh, un, uh, you know, undiscovered environment of alien interaction. Well, and then you realize like one of the overarching themes of this mo- movie is is like humanism, which was something yeah. that was very much a thing in the '60s and '70s. Uh, it's since been drained completely from our society. There is no humanism in 2023. Uh, there's transhumanism, which means like, how can we put our minds into computers and be more like machines? But yeah, no, this was still a movie very much in the vein of like humanism, hopefulness, and humans solving problems. You know, benevolence and uh, kindness. It's like all things that are completely anathema to the human experience yeah. nowadays. But. Uh, um. Yeah, because that's how it ends up. But like the, but like you know, the some of the evidence beforehand is like this is a horror movie. These aliens are gonna kill us all. Yeah. So, uh, so you have to keep those things together because that's what makes the movie more interesting. Is that there could be a dichotomy here. Yeah. Um, to serve man. Because <laughs> that's a weird look where you can kind of look at Independence Day as being almost the exact opposite of this movie. Yeah, the, Independence Day is like more where we're at now. It's but just with like if Donald Trump was the president and didn't happen to fly fighter jets as well. But you know, that's kind of where we're at now. I mean, we yeah, that Independence Day was that, but now we're that, but it's like Trump is like the president and it's and it's like instead of like something about we won't go quietly into that night, it's Trump's like, yeah, screw these guys. We're going <laughs> to we're going to kick their asses and sell them real estate, you know, or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. we're at a very we're, we're, we're way stupider than this now. <laughs> we're going to crash these spacecraft and have pre-existing buildings we're going to sell to. To the Chinese, <laughs> we're gonna steal their technology, and we're gonna create a beautiful middle class in this country. Because <laughs> that's what I'm about. I'm about the people. I'm about I'm, God in the middle class. <laughs> I'm the people's billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why do we always wind up here? It's just on the mind. It is. Yeah, it's always always on the mind. Yeah, then uh, then the ships all disappear and everything gets quiet, and then there's like a low rumbling sound is heard. So again, this is ominous. You don't know, like is this a good or a bad thing? Is uh, this right before like the, the the yeah they come out of the um you know the pit in the ground and start firing the death ray around <laughs> in War of the Worlds? <laughs> um, and then a ship bigger than Devil's Tower itself shows up and has an ominous low rumbling. Uh, and it starts it starts lighting up. Yeah, this is basically Christmas tree. The, the ship is full of color, colorful lights and everything. Um, 
which also like uh, Steven Spielberg has like three credits on this movie written, directed by, and like visual concepts. Yep. So I'm guessing he designed like all these spaceships or something. So I'm not sure. Yeah. How that, I know that like the, it's one of those things where it's like a big physical model back in that era. And yeah. I know R2D2 is clearly visible on the outside <laughs> of it as a little thing. Well, this this model's like in some museum, right? Yeah, it's in the sci- uh, Smithsonian Space Science and Space okay. Museum or something, something like that. I watched uh, Adam Savage like got a close up look at it. Huh? It's actually a huge, it's a big model. Yeah, yeah. That's why I had to do that. If you want a detail, you just have to build a model model way bigger. <laughs> well, somebody, I was saying they were saying something like the all the miniatures and stuff were shot in seventy millimeter, and the film was shot in thirty five. Okay. Yeah. That's why the models look like cool and big and highly detailed. Yeah. Because they were shot with a different kind of film stock and then when they merged it together it's like oh they they move, you know, cool and they had more subtlety to them than just like a, you know, they weren't all uh just no detail. But yeah. Yeah, you get yeah, you had to do stuff back like that back then because the the nightmare of film processing back then is basically every time you touched and processed film it changed yeah. <laughs> completely the color, the lighting, all that stuff. And so you had to like anticipate how it would change, which is a nightmare. <laughs> you got to guess. It's like, let's guess what the chemical process is by, you know, how pure are the chemicals? What's the humidity in the air? It's like, what's this going to look like? How did they some formulate are, the film at Kodak? And some are like, also like there was a great thing in Blade Runner where they talked about this guy would had to paint the matte paintings um and that 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 it was all done in camera all the effects which basically means they like film something they had to like rewind the stock and like film on top of it with another stock all at the same time so it all printed together with like eight different film stocks um but like still there's like a process even though that kind of limits the amount of processing you have to do there's still like a process you have to do and so like the background paintings this guy was basically when he paint them it looked like like are you colorblind this looks all f- weird and stupid but after it goes through a couple of processes of of uh of um processing the film it looks normal <laughs> yeah yeah it's like um, you're painting it light gray it's like this is supposed to be black it's like trust me it will be by the time <laughs> we're done <laughs> I, that's one of those movies where they said like it was amazing nobody got electrocuted filming it yeah because those rain scenes in that movie everyone was as miserable as they looked because <laughs> they were just shooting fire hoses into the air constantly <laughs> and every and, uh, and they were wearing like wool like costume stuff and it's, everyone's just saturated and <laughs> it was disgusting and uh, stunk and they were shooting it you know it was a high, I guess it was very warm too, so it was like hey, everyone's about as miserable in Blade Runner as they look. <laughs> they didn't have to act a whole lot. Um, yeah, the ship's full of colorful lights. Uh, what did you say? It looks like a kind of kind of like a jellyfish, but like as a structure. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Or, yeah, it's like yeah, or more like uh, I was always thought of it as as like a um, uh, what are those spiked things called? Like an anemone. An See an enemy? Oh, see an enemy? Yeah, it kind of looks like a spiked ball. Okay. With some with some details to it, like some docking bays or something. It's a very organic and mechanical looking at the same time. Yeah. It's not like a like an like a human spacecraft where it'd be like a square or a sloped box. It looks like yeah, it's not it's organic. not completely it's not completely symmetrical. Right. Right. 
um Roy works his way down to the landing pad where it's like nobody's well it's fun at first because there's like a guy running and then like it, it looks like he's like some kind of MP that's gonna stop him or something, but then he just goes and hides in the bathroom. So it's like, oh nobody's gonna stop you, Roy. You're good to go. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> like pissing their pants at this point. So <laughs> Uh, the scientists are in awe of the spaceship. It flips upside down and gets close to the ground. Uh, then Jillian makes her way down there, too. Um, the, the scientists play the five tones again. They get a response. Yes, here uh, comes the best diegetic music scene in a movie in history. <laughs> like, it doesn't get any better than this. Well, and the response from the ship is, like, so low. Like, and, like it's very loud and kind of awe-inspiring. It blows out some glass and... Um, yeah, the the ship starts riffing on like the the the, the five tones and starts doing it. so they like, try to sync up and try to do a little Simon says with the uh, with the spacecraft and like you know they don't know what they're saying to each other at all. It's just like well we're just trying to figure it out. Well, I guess the, like the sound guy for the movie they hired to play the the uh, keyboard. Yeah, it's like the guy in the movie. It's the same guy. Because Steven Spielberg was like, oh, this guy's so into it. Just put him in the movie. He's having yeah. a blast. So the guy who's playing that and getting those instructions is actually the guy who like set all that up. Yeah, he built the this keyboard here. It's, it's the like ARP2500 yeah. uh, synthesizer, which you can buy on Amazon now for 69... Or I'm sorry, on uh, eBay like retro recordings for $69,000. You can <laughs> yeah. buy one of these, not this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's not many of them, and they're handcrafted. Yeah, just handmade, essentially. Um, yeah, which is funny, because it's like, oh, this is the best guy in the world at this stuff. He even gets a, a spot in a movie, and it's like they went bankrupt like three years later. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that stuff's hard to do. If you're not exploiting China, that stuff's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone loves, like, you know, the like the... the, the the crafted in Europe or America, like fine electronics, like, you know, all those, those, um, those, you know, the tabletop, uh, the turntable, the record players, you know, the yeah. stuff that's like $9,000. If you've ever heard one, cause that sounds stupid. And then you go to someone's house and it's like, Oh, that's a Macintosh. Can we play that? Yes, we can. It's like, this makes perfect sense. I know why you paid this <laughs> much for this, but you just don't sell a lot of units because people don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, the ship kind of does a Jaws theme for a moment. Yes, that's <laughs> I on think purpose. That's probably intentional. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, even the best directors in the world have to call back to their own mature. <laughs> it's not just family. Well, no, <laughs> no. Um, a door in the craft opens up and just blinding light spills out. Um, most people step back, but some kind of like brave forward. Um, humans start walking off the spaceship and it's the war two fire pilots. And so they're all confused. And then there's also a board of like all the missing people and they're like marking them off and they're like announcing out loud who everyone is like Lieutenant JG, whatever. <laughs> um, they haven't aged. So there's like, well, that's weird. And then Barry rolls out as one of the people. So Jillian goes and grabs him. So they're reunited. Um, so that's the end of her mission. <laughs> you know why the kid was crying in this scene? Well, we'll tell. Okay, go ahead. But yeah, actually, there's yeah, there's a few things got to happen. No, there. the only trivia I, I like scant was about like he was bummed he had to put like some shoes on so he went slip down the ramp or whatever. Well, no, uh, Steven Spielberg told him he was like, okay, wave goodbye to your friends. 
and he thought uh, that meant goodbye forever to like all the people on the cast and he got really upset and he was <laughs> crying and the mom of course was she was acting she was crying and they was like perfect shoot this shoot this uh, <laughs> but it wasn't intentional that he would cry uh, so at least that's how it was explained i don't know if it's true there's a pause of like all the people being released there's even like a cheerleader in here and stuff uh, then the door closes then the door opens again and then a weird figure with like long arms and legs like crawls forward um which i don't know if it's just a different alien or if like this is what it, this is the adult version because then like child aliens wander out which again don't know if they're children or not that just by comparison it's like they're smaller and weirder and seem to be whimsical so well this the the big aliens people called him uh this was of course for a more modern audience they called him the um the slender man alien comes out first <laughs> Uh, and that's because he was an articulated puppet with a lot of like motion control. It took eight guys to run him. And really what made him so complex was how his one hand could move and the fact that his eyes and mouth could move. But this is 70s tech. And so it took like a lot of guys to run him. The little, what they call the chubby aliens, were girls from a local girls' school. They just put in alien costumes <laughs> and they were like, yeah, just act like you're having a good time. <laughs> and so they, they acted like children, which is what they were. So, but everyone calls them the chubby aliens because they weren't the the slender man alien. I don't. Is this how is this the origin of the classic gray alien like figures? No, that goes back to the sixties. Yeah, the okay. gray gray aliens, the big eyed aliens, the slender aliens. That that goes back to the sixties. Which these aren't exactly like the classic gray aliens, no. but but that's close enough. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah, the child aliens kind of wander out into the crowd. Jillian takes some photos of the aliens. Uh, then we quick cut to like the Ruby crew being blessed by a priest, and then Roy is revealed to be a part of the crew. And it's like, wait, how much time does pass? Yeah, they're just like, hey, get one of these cool silk uniforms on. You're, <laughs> you're gonna be, you're on the team. And then they march them out, and then alien. Then the alien kids pick out Roy and guide him towards the spaceship. Yep. Uh, then Roy walks aboard the spaceship. He's smiling at all of all the technology. I guess this was an added thing that they spent like two million dollars to add this because like, oh, that'll be cool. And then like everybody apparently hates it. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary. It's just like, oh, here's some, here's some shots of you know model <laughs> well you know how in horror it's like the monster you don't see is more scary than the one you do yeah this is sort of the same concept like yeah you know there's amazing stuff in there why try to imagine it it's not <laughs> part of a human mind that made it so you know you're never gonna make it look you know look right so yeah but that's studio prerogatives well, I mean, it's, it was weird. Like, Stephen wanted to shoot it, and then after it was an immediate success, they're like, let's shoot it. Because <laughs> yeah. this is the only thing Columbia had going on. So it's like, oh, good, we're profitable again. We got saved by It's like, all right, Stephen, here you go. <laughs> There's like a cylindrical ceiling that raises, raises up, and it reveals like a much bigger space above where like all the spaceships dock at. So this is like the mothership. I don't know. Where does that term like originate? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it goes back to aircraft carriers in World War II, but okay. I've never heard it called that. It's probably, I don't think they'd call it. Yeah. It well, might, I've, I've, I've heard this this ship here referred to as the mother ship. I just don't know like where that originates. I doubt it originates here, but. Yeah. 
that's got to be a concept otherwise but i don't know maybe it does I don't know. I mean, it makes sense like aircraft carriers in world war ii like that might be you know something yeah. along that line because they are um, ships and they do harbor lots of little <laughs> killing pods that go out and do the <laughs> devil's work and then fly back um and then there's like a city of figures and silhouettes are shown which i'm guess i i don't know exactly the scale here but it's supposed to be like hey it's a flying city um I, i'm getting tardis vibes off this spaceship where it's like oh it actually seems to be much larger inside than it looks yeah. like outside so well also i'm like wondering like are these all the same aliens or are these like different alien races that they've picked up <laughs> and like this is what they do it's and, like, the I don't know. congress of aliens that we're going to be invited it's, it's the, the million world federation humanity is oh. going to be invited into once we give up nuclear weapons <laughs> and red meat or something <laughs> um yeah because that's what dalsiers was like you're supposed to be at this time like oh they're benevolent so he's going to go off and have cool adventures and not just be like torn apart and <laughs> seen out <laughs> fire in the sky style uh, <laughs> yeah because they you know presumably already had the opportunity to do that so you don't know <laughs> and you know apparently didn't but you know you never know. uh then another alien walks out um because we're back outside so you know so it's, uh, roy's just gone on the ship forever now uh, Claude does the sign language, and then the alien does it back. This is like the really articulated puppet. I yes. think. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, the the doors close, and the ship takes off, and then we get credits over the ship as it flies off into space. That's the end of Close Encounters of the Third Guy. Yes. <laughs> and this is supposed to be a hopeful ending. So. It is. <laughs> but interpretive, you can interpret whatever you want. Roy gets away from child support. <laughs> Doesn't have to pay maintenance to his wife. Ex-wife, <laughs> yeah. Spielberg would return. He would he'd produce a bunch of kind of like UFO type stuff. I think there was a show called like the 1900 or something like that, which is basically this concept of people taken from different times and then suddenly returned all at the same time, and oh, they yeah. don't know where they've been. Um, also, did ET after this? Oh <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> again, going with the like friendly alien kind of, and <laughs> so, yeah. so. working with kid actors again. Well, which he did that later, because like immediately after this, he does was at nineteen forty nine, which is or something like that, which is a oh the Belushi a, World War Two movie, yeah, which is a was a huge bomb at the time and kind of like the the weird the I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't know how bad it is, but it's it's always talked about as like the the weird blemish in Spielberg's career, where it's like yeah, Spielberg can make bad movies, but they're usually entertaining even if they're not great. Which everyone seems to be like, oh, this is just, there's no value in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit with a big budget that sort of goes off the rails in the middle and the actors all know it. But it's like, we're just hanging in there. I don't know if that's a good description of that movie, but that's what I got from it. The one time I tried to watch it and it's like, well, I gave up. And like, you know, then I watched like weird foreign movies and I was like, yeah, I got to <laughs> tap out on this. This is too stupid. <laughs> But it's kind of amazing that this last scene is 30 minutes long because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel it. Oh, yeah. Um, even though there are definitely a bunch of stages where it's like the the craft, the, the spacecraft like show up and disappear like five times in this last scene. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but, you know, and then you got the cool call and response, you know, sequence and stuff like that. And then, yeah, one of the best um, scenes in cinema that for that kind of concept that actually makes no sense. I tried to look up, like, what does this mean? What is the deeper meaning of these tones? Is this a, 
a form of communication? Why did the computer take over the conversation halfway through and just play it back as fast as it could? Were we <laughs> learning anything? And the answer is no. We just had this huge board we built that was different colors that corresponded with the keyboard, and we wanted it to look cool. <laughs> and we also, you know, we had to shoot the alien ship responding with a whole different film technology and a way of doing it. And it's like, oh, so there was no scientific under meaning to this at all. It just looked cool. It's like, yep. It's like, well, great. Okay, you got me. Because I thought it's like, oh, do those tones mean something? Is that how you would, you know, because we, we know like movies like, uh, oh, what was the uh, Denis Villeneuve movie? Um was all about communicating with aliens. Arrival? Uh, yeah, Arrival. Yeah, okay. Now that was like that was like a deep dive into like, yeah, what does alien language and thought mean? And it's like, oh, something really dark apparently <laughs> and, and sad. Uh which I probably like that movie more than this one, but also like Well, that movie actually had an idea it followed through on. This movie yeah. just looked cool. Yeah, yeah. No, and there's also great tense scenes here with um yeah, you know, you know, Spielberg's a master at this. <laughs> that that mo- the the arrival followed more like, um, like I said, if this was an homage to humanism, the arrival was the uh, an homage to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> where in some parts of the universe, human thought is so primitive it's considered a virus, and that's kind of <laughs> how the arrival arrives at. Um, not directly, but that's what I got out of it. Uh, but that's yeah, just one of my unsupported theses that I like to throw out. Oh that was oh yeah that wasn't never mind I was thinking about somebody else I was thinking about Alfonso Cuarón who makes different movies yeah different cool movies we like <laughs> Children of Men the be- the best Christmas movie ever watch it uplifting well we're se- we're sending a probe into space to intercept the spaceship <laughs> oh we just show the last thirty minutes of the movie oh, okay <laughs> yeah I mean it's basically one scene so. <laughs> Uh, and then the, we also, we're also on Letterbox VHE uh, username uh, one out of five. What is close encounters of the third kind? Oh, five for sure. Okay, it is. It is a st- the uh, flawed but all time moments. So. Well, it's flawed because it's it's like it it's the the it it delivers its message obliquely. This is what yeah. I get out of it. I don't know if what Steven Spielberg wrote into it, but this is what I see. Okay, if you know anything about the Bible, which for some reason I know a lot about because I like to read the weird stuff in it and everything, it's like Roy is a prophet. No one <laughs> wants to listen to the prophets. They never want to listen to the prophets. They crucify the prophets. They torture them. They kill them. Roy has a message no one wants to hear. No one can communicate with each other. We're all divided by languages. We're all divided by you know different ideas and, and different ways of looking at the world. So communication is like a central theme in this movie. You can't communicate with the aliens. Can't communicate with each other. You got to have a guy who kind of speaks French <laughs> talk to a French guy <laughs> who's in charge of the U.S. government's <laughs> UFO investigation. Um, Roy can't communicate his message like in you know you know he can't he can only co- uh, communicate his message like by sculpting things and making things. He can't say what he's feeling. Yeah. You can't talk to the aliens until you go to Devil's Rock, which is the Tower of Babel from the Bible. Because <laughs> you know what that's all about, right? The Tower of Babel? Um, that's something with languages, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because it, 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 in an earlier time, mankind, this is more of a Sumerian than a Christian legend, but 
everyone spoke the same language on earth at one time. And we, so we could all work together. So we built a tower to find God. We were going to go up to heaven, build basically a space elevator. Well, God didn't like that. So he divided human beings by giving them all different languages. Oh, okay. So that's why, that's why we say Babel. It's like, what is this gibberish? <laughs> what is this Babel? I don't speak this language. That's where the term comes from. So that's what this whole movie is. It goes back to like, yeah, the communication is what divides us and it what ultimately unites us. And that's what I get out of it. I don't know if Spielberg meant all that, but <laughs> he probably did. He's a smart guy. Uh yeah, he's I don't know, that's the thing with Spielberg is he has great instincts. Yeah. Because you'd think all his movies are like lovingly crafted and they spend a lot of time shooting all the scenes. You'd think he was like a Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna spend we're going to do 90 takes on this. Like that's not Spielberg. No Spielberg is one of the fastest shooting directors that's ever existed. <laughs> and he makes wonderful things with like the limited amount of times he's given. I mean, his budgets are huge still, but you know, he deserves that. He makes money. So. Yeah. I mean, he can, he can express his concepts fully, but he's not like, yeah, that's why you, I mean, there's a reason like you can watch a You can watch a Kubrick movie a hundred times and get a hundred different things out of it. Watch a Spielberg movie, you'll get like five big points. Yeah. But they're so hammered home, and you can so easily defend those arguments. It's like, thank you, Steven. You made this easy <laughs> for me. Kubrick, it's like, did we fake the moon landing? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Are the rich really meeting together and doing this weird sex stuff? I guess so. <laughs> he was right. And also, like, Spielberg usually like has uplifting movies, and yes. then he'll have his serious dramas where it's like, oh, he can do both. <laughs> it's time to hate yourself for witnessing history. <laughs> yeah, Spielberg, like, two of his movies are, like, one of my top tens. This one and Schindler's List. <laughs> Schindler's List is such an embodiment of evil and depression and depravity, but at the end of it, you're like, yeah, that really happened, and this is the best outcome you could hope for if you were one of those people, is like to be one of the Schindler Jews that made it all the way to the end of the movie, unlikely. Um, and then you realize, like, oh, that really happened, then it's sad. Because Close Encounters, <laughs> you can be like, that's fiction, whatever. But <laughs> it's like, no, not Schindler's List. Like, those people, all real. Um. Well, if you like what you heard and how can it you, you can find us at verhoveneffect.com. Uh, there we have listener support. We can support us a monthly stipend either ninety nine cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine. Uh, cancel any time. Uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, you can rate us whatever you want. Be, remember, only the the algorithm only listens to the highest rating. So remember, you control the algorithm. Algorithm doesn't control you. Uh, you can also find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook at Verhoeven Effect, and find us on YouTube at American Greed Fact. We watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at belowlacollar.com slash greed factory for, I don't know, like another week or so. Yeah. Get them, <laughs> get them while you can. Uh, so for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>